Hi there, welcome, and thank you for tuning in. My name is Jason Shoulder, and this is Learning to Fail. People are complicated. I know a lot of complicated people. My guest today is Scott Peterson. I always thought my life was challenging. Then I met Scott. We've been friends for over 20 years, with a 13-year break. Reconnecting after all this time was not only healing, but joyful. This was one of the most honest conversations we've ever had. I'm glad we recorded it. Before we get started, I just want to say how much I appreciate people taking time out of their lives to talk to me, let alone listen. This podcast is my avenue for expanding the way I think and the things I think about. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about learning to fail and encourage them to tell theirs. Take a moment to rate us on iTunes and check out our website for additional information about each of the people we interview. While you're there, please visit our Donate and Amazon pages. Each page will give you clear instructions on what to do. For the time being, we're a completely donation-based podcast, so all of our episodes are being brought to you by you. Our donation page will allow you to make one-time or recurring donations. Our Amazon portal enables you to support the podcast without spending any extra money of your own. Please bookmark our Amazon page and start your shopping there every time you visit or buy anything on Amazon. The most helpful thing you can do is simply to listen to the podcast and encourage others to do the same. The world will be a better place when we can all start learning to fail together. Let's talk to Scott Peterson. I can't remember the last time I laughed this hard. Scott Peterson, thank you for joining me on uh, Learning to Fail. Oh, you're welcome. I'm an expert. <laughs> well, that wasn't why I reached out to you, but uh, when you mentioned it, I thought, well, you know, um, Scott's had so many different incarnations this lifetime. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what my point I was going to make. I'm 64 years old, and... But every five years, I do something different. Well, I do something different every 10 years. So I think uh, that maybe we just have that sort of similar kindred spirit that there's not one thing that's going to satisfy us forever. Yeah, or character flaw, if you want to put it that way. Well, you, yeah, I'd rather not see it that way, but that doesn't mean I'm right. Yeah, well, you know, there's so many ways of being. That's one of the things uh, that I've actually succeeded at is becoming... Um, just comfortable in my in my own skin a lot more. If uh, things didn't go right before, I would blame myself, beat myself up, blah 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 blah. Um, and then I realized so much of what's gone in on in my life had nothing to do with me. So, you know, when did that change take place? Do you think? Oh, let's see. I, after this last go around, when I got um, evicted and was living in my van, it was entirely because of the perfect storm of uh, an arthritic hip, um, a profession that required me to be physical, a recession, and a landlord who wanted me out of there so he could raise the rent in the apartment. So it was like, well, what, you, what am I going to do about that? So, um, yeah, I just decided that uh, that's the way it is. So um, make the best of it. I mean, one of the things that's always sort of blown me away about you and just it's, 
it's confusing and confounding, but it's, you're one of the smartest people I know. I mean, you've got an incredible education. Uh, I mean, every time I have a conversation with you, I feel like I learn something, and um, and then sometimes I'm made to feel that I'm learning something. <laughs> and uh, you don't know that yet. What's wrong with you? Yeah, exactly. There there have been a few of those along the way, um, but. You know, it's just, I mean, I guess it just makes me think about, like, how many things have to line up for things to go right, you know, and, or I, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know what the magic is. I mean, some people's lives, I have a, you know, a former relative and one of George's brothers. I mean, the guy's got the Midas touch. He just, everything he does turns to gold. Yeah. I know people like that, too. Yeah, it's just amazing. Well, you know, I think it's a worldview or a, a way of being in the world that wasn't vouchsafed to me at birth. Um, you know, I know I'm a pretty smart guy. Um, it's the way I put it is I got a mind like flypaper. Everything sticks to it in no particular order. Um, and I can use a lot of what I know, but a lot of what I know is just there because I like it. Um, the idea of focusing that into a laser beam and putting it uh, to work, um, making money or in a profession. Yeah, when I was in theater, yeah. When I was writing comedy, yeah. Um, but it, it never, what can I say? There was no, there was no stamina to it. Um, it wore out fast. And then I'm on to the next thing. Or, you know, I get fired or whatever I'm doing stops and then I'm on to the next thing. So, yeah, um, it's a mystery to me too. Uh, I look around and say, "Well, geez, that guy—he, geez, fall into a toilet and come up with mince pies under each arm." <laughs> <laughs> that's a horrifying image in the best of times. <laughs> that's uh, that's from that's from mice and men. <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, I had a guy on. Uh, the most recent recording. This is uh, this is our second episode, um, and on the first episode, he also happens to be a, w- a woodworker. We'll get into you know how you and I met in a little while, but um, he's just like an unbelievable master woodworker. His name's Andy Ray. You may even know him because he's written a number of books and I don't know how many hundreds of articles and edited Woodworker Magazine or one of those for a long hmm. time. And you know, uh, right now he's out of work. And I mean, he's as good as they come. I mean, the stuff he builds is so unbelievably beautiful. And yeah. and there's just uh, he, you know, he his first job was working for George Nagasaki. Am I saying his name right? Nagasaki. Nagasaki like city. Like the city. No, no, no. no. Uh, Nakashima. Oh, Nakashima. Yeah, the furniture maker. Ah. Um. And yeah, sorry, I didn't get that name right. And that was his first job was working in his, you know, being his finisher and. And then, you know, so he really got to be around some of the finest furniture ever. And now he's got his own thing going. I mean, it's been a long road for him. And the other day, uh, he's he's been spending the last some of the last week working outside milling trees down into, you know, lumber with like a chainsaw, a, like a chainsaw mill. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, and it, and it just kind of, you know, and he's making not nearly what he's worth. It reminded me of... The time that uh, you were helping to pull pine boards out of that Sears building in downtown LA. <laughs> the pine mine. Yeah, the pine <laughs> mine, right. Because I have uh, 
I'm actually sitting at a table right now that is made from that wood. And the table downstairs where we were recording yesterday is also made from that wood. I made about eight or ten tables before I left L.A., um, sofa tables and end tables and a couple of desks. Uh, all. Oh, I had I had a whole living room suite and dining room suite. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. What happened to that um, stuff? Oh, I. It disappeared somewhere along the line. One of my, uh, the pl- the place I built it for, the guy sold it. So the landlady uh, built an apartment building there. You know, one of those things. It's like, okay, here I have this wonderful. Uh, you know, it was a nice little house too, as you recall. Really sweet little Spanish style house in uh, North Hollywood. Um, roses along the back wall, um, really comfortable. And I got to live there for a year until they threw me out. So it's like, okay, I, I failed at that. Um, yeah. Um, the whole thing about the periodicity of work, what can I say, uh, is that it, it's so often out of your control. Um, you can be the best buggy whip maker in the world, and then you know the Model T comes along, and five years later, you're pulling weeds for uh, somebody's garden. So um, there's just so many things that can happen and do happen to people that um, I, I think we need to be taught a little bit different about how to look at that. Um, when I was growing up, it was like hard work and dedication that'll it'll make your life the way it ought to be. And that's just an outright lie. <laughs> right. It can it can make your life the way it ought to be, but there's no freaking guarantee. So, um, you know, if we were all taught to be a little more gentle to ourselves, I think we'd be more gentle to each other and easing each other through the tough spots would be uh, a little easier. If you hear thumps, it's because I'm in, a, in the back room of my friend's recording studio and there's a restaurant next door and they sometimes bleed through the walls. Uh, well, no problem. I mean, it's we're not trying to make these things perfect. We just want them to be as good as they can be. You know, just avoid the oh. obvious things like the fucking HVAC system. <laughs> so, the HVAC system you used to fuck with? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> okay, the fucking HVAC. Yeah, the yeah. the regular HVAC system. Now nah, we're fine with that. That reminds me of a of a of a. I don't know if it's a great joke. I'll tell it, and we can decide. But uh, there's this Jewish family, and they need to put their father in a nursing home. And all the Jewish nursing homes are full, so they put him in a Catholic nursing home. And they're very concerned that he's not going to be happy there, but they've run out of choices, and he can't live with any of them. So they leave him there for like a month. And when they come back, uh, they, they check on him, and he's just never been happier. And they, and they say, well, you know, how's it going? He said, oh, I love this place. It's fantastic. And they said, really? He said, yes, you see that man over there? He hasn't practiced medicine in 20 years, and they still call him doctor. And that man over there, he was a conductor, and he hasn't conducted an orchestra in 30 years, and they still call him maestro. He says, me? I haven't had sex in 40 years, and they still call me the fucking Jew. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do that in a shtetl accent. Though. I know. I couldn't summon it, and I didn't want it to come on halfway. <laughs> You see that man over there? <laughs> there, yeah, yeah. Well, you can retell it. <laughs> so that's pretty good. <laughs> the fucking Jew. The, the, it's the, it's they all call me the fucking Jew. I screwed. They it up. all call me still the fucking yeah. Jew. <laughs> I give up. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Well, that's good. You know. Um, we should all have our our titles in our age. What would yours be? 
Oh God. Okay, what would mine be? <laughs> that... Well, we have to I, we have to remake our acquaintance a little longer before I could figure that one out. All right. Well, I have, I'm, uh, I have all the confidence you'll come up with something all too accurate and painful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't hurt your fifis, did I? Oh well, you know there might have been a time or two. <laughs> Not so badly that I didn't call you again. Yeah, I so, can see that. I mean, we so, did have some time away, you know. Um, yeah, 12 and a half years. Astonishing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, being out of L.A., I've been out of contact with a lot of people. Um, but I, I felt like a year or so before I left L.A., we just sort of... So, oh, yeah. Well, um, you used to have a lot of rules. Do you still have a lot of rules? I probably do. You know, I mean, the I thing mean, is, a... I don't recognize it because I follow them anyway. Well, you had a lot of rules and uh, you used to travel a lot. And I said, oh, where'd you go this time? And then you got you got a little snippy with me and said, I'm so tired of people asking me where I'm going. And for some reason or other, it set me off. And I just said, fuck off. And I think that was the last time we spoke. So um, so it was as much me as you. Yeah, you know what it was? And I can tell you, I remember that. I remember. I think I had asked you to take care of my dog while I was gone. And you're like, where are you going? I'm like, I'd rather not talk about it. And you're like, well, then fuck off. <laughs> I'm not going to take your dog <laughs> if you're not telling me where you're going. And and I can tell you. No, no, I, you didn't ask me to take your dog. That that wasn't part of it. Oh, that wasn't? It, oh, no, well, maybe it was, was, was going to be. It was just a cut. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, well, he just told me to fuck off. I wonder if it's a bad time to bring up the dog. <laughs> perspicacious lad <laughs> um i remember what it was i was in a relationship actually a really wonderful one um and but i it wasn't really public because ah. we were in the same spiritual community and we have a lot of the same friends and we had just kind of decided that the relationship would be a little bit ours oh, well. and a little bit private and it was still kind of new on the dl yeah it was a little on the dl i mean it was still a new relationship and so I remember, you know, I was just not really talking to anybody about it. You could have just said that. I know, dude. I just, <laughs> I, obviously, I could have handled it a hundred ways better than I did. Well, so could I have. Um, um, you know, I just, it was, you know, there's there's a, a character flaw that's uh, led to the my fairly abrupt exit from certain situations that I get, um, I get really impatient really fast sometimes, and it just blows over and I mouth off and then boom I'm gone so yeah you know put yourself in line you're a string of you one of the pearls on the necklace that I've strung around my neck. Oh, your own neck that you're gonna hang yourself by one day <laughs> that's, that's been weighing me down well um I want to take this moment to apologize for being that way um I want I want you to tell me more about the rules thing because that's come up in other relationships and I have every um, comfort with including that as a part of these conversations. Like, you know, this is an intimate, this podcast is an intimate thing. It's, it's, um, especially the first, you know, 10 people I'm talking to are people who are friends of mine. They've known me for a long time. Uh, they care about me. I care about them. There's been a lot of water under the bridge, but there's a little, there's some kind of love there that exists either way, you know, and in, in spite of whatever we've been through and you're Thanks very much on that. that list, you know, so it's <laughs> awesome that you were, up for doing this and um and so you know i i really do apologize for handling my side of that badly 
Um, oh, don't worry about it. I mean, I I could have said to you, why are you being such a shit? <laughs> As opposed to just fuck off. Yeah. There were so many other expletives you could have chosen. Yeah. <laughs> he went with fuck off. But there was, why are you being such a shit? God, you're an asshole. Uh, let's see. What else is there? <laughs> blow it out your ass. Blow, blow it out your ass. I mean, that's a lot like God, you're an asshole. But it's still, it's you know, it's got its own ring. Yeah. You know. Um, I, but I think I hung up too. So, and I was kind of impatient with that dynamic in your personality. Um, you know, when you had the shop, there was, you know, you charged me for the nuts and bolts. I surcharged for, for nails and screws. Um, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. You oh tried to, God. but I pitched a mighty bitch and you took it off the bill. Um, yeah. And you know, it was just like, you were, you were, a little uptight about your prerogatives, that's all. Now, I'm the opposite. I'm real loosey-goosey about that stuff. So to me, it's something to put up with. Um, and I've learned to respect it in other people because other people have that dynamic. Um, but at that time, it was still like, well, why are you like that? You know, which is probably what led to the fuck off. Right. I can remember another side of it, and, and I... And I, before I say it, I just want to say like this whole conversation or this part of this conversation, I don't think the whole thing's going to be like this, um, is not in any way designed to to provoke old negative emotions. So I... No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. Um, um, we've gotten over that. Yeah. So good. Well, I just wanted to say that before I said what I'm going to say next. Um, because I'm thinking about like, well, why would I have charged for the bolts and screws, you know? <laughs> um, and I can remember feeling uh, a little bit like a like a, somewhere between a pawn shop and an ATM for you. Like I remember oh, loaning yeah. you a lot of money off and on and you always paid me back. And sometimes you insisted on paying me with interest, which wasn't really my desire. I mean, I wasn't trying to make money off of loaning you money. I mean, if I could help you, I would help you. That was always my feeling. But I remember feeling like there was a lot of it. Um, oh, well, there was, yeah, there was. Um, and one of the reasons I insist on paying interest is because I didn't want you to think I was sponging off your goodwill at the time you know it was pretty desperate times it was the middle of the last recession that where construction went into the toilet and um i was uh, i was pretty much hurting it was uh it was there was some desperate times there so yeah and i was uh, yeah yeah i can see how you would you would get impatient with that um so yeah you know what uh, circumstances led to that um, and you laid down the law too. You said, no, no more. And so, you know, I found another avenue, um, to save my life with, and I always pay people back. So, um, yeah, just, uh, can I say one of those things? Yeah. Well, it was never a question of thinking I wouldn't be paid back. Although I guess there was probably a piece of me that was like, well, one day he's just not going to be able to pay me back. <laughs> you know, there might have been that. <laughs> and it's not like I had money to burn. I mean, I've li I was living on credit. I mean, I remember at the time... Balance transfers were free. This was when uh. interest was free and balance transfers were free. And I financed that entire shop 100% on my good credit. And I built up my credit lines to be like $30,000 a piece. I had 10 credit cards. I floated $100,000 of debt for nine years. Holy shit. And I never paid a dime of interest, never a single uh, like processing fee, nothing, because the credit cards were – in such competition with each other for your to to loan you money at that time, right, right, um, right. So I was not operating on a surplus by any stretch. You, you weren't exactly liquid. 
Yeah, I was, yeah. I was, I was yeah, dry ice at best. <laughs> it was all smoke, <laughs> sort Smoking. of mist. Yeah, right. And well, yeah, you know, um, well, that's how you got to have that good job is that uh, you had the credit, and at that point, my credit was obliterated. So you know, um, it was it was just reaching out where I could reach out. Yeah, um, survivalist mode. But, um, yeah, um, you had a right to think that. I mean, I would have thought that, too, if I were on the other end of it. Yeah, I mean, it was... It was, uh, it was uncomfortable. It, it, it was uncomfortable, and, and, it was, and it wasn't showing any sign of letting up. Yeah, like, well... It was a little was... bit of a, of a, um, <laughs> a bottomless... Uh, a never-ending cycle. Yeah, I mean, yeah, an infinite loop. An infinite loop. Yes, it was Apple and Cupertino. Um, <laughs> I wish I was Apple. Yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> then you wouldn't. I be borrowing money from you. Yeah, shit. Um, I'd be raining money down on everybody I know. I'll never forget. At one point, I think when I'd started Three Minute Egg, which is my yoga company now, and um, I was looking for a lot of startup capital from different people, and I went to LA and I met with a friend of mine who had really made it in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And I'm deliberately not saying who it is for now. Um, and, oh, okay. And uh, yeah, um, <laughs> read, so fuck you. Read, <laughs> you gonna hang read, up now? What? Um, read my mind. <laughs> <laughs> who is it? Can't yeah. tell you. Yeah. Oh, hang on a second. Okay. Uh, the uh, screensaver went on for some reason, oh. so I'm, I'm back to looking at the trace. Uh, so, so yeah, you went to where the money is. So I went to talk to this friend of mine, and he ended up asking me for money. <laughs> <laughs> like you know his life had had changed dramatically he'd gotten divorced i didn't know about it you know and i was really i was there at his wedding i was the first person to speak not that anyone asked me but i got up and grabbed the mic and um i mean he's one of my best friends you know and and um and then i guess that was early in the facebook days i didn't really pay attention to facebook i had it but i didn't really use it and then he told me he was divorced, and I was devastated. And he's like, "Well, dude, it's been like a year. It's on Facebook." I mean, I'm like, oh, "I don't, I didn't know that." You know, um, so he was going through a, you know, a rough, a rough time, bunch. and and uh, that was the last time I ever approached anybody personally, personally. Yeah, you know, for money in that way. Like, I mean, unless I knew they had it, but not like sort of setting up a meeting. I mean, definitely wanting to catch up, but also having an agenda, and then. <laughs> Finding out I was actually going to be on the other end of it was pretty funny. You were in the crosshairs, not him. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, it was like it was really one of those Hollywood lessons too, you know, where you're, um, it, everyone wants something from everyone, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the way of the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. I um, let's see. Well, when I when when the Scott's video booth started to gain some steam, gain a little momentum, um, I decided the thing that I was going to do is pay back debt. So I've been just, I must have paid off 15, 20 grand worth of debt in one year. Um, and I still haven't touched at all, but I'm close to the the end of the more recent stuff. I mean, the stuff from maybe 10 years ago is ancient history. Um, they can, you know, find it in cuneiform and when the architects dig it up. Um, cause it, uh, it weighs on my conscience. I mean, it weighs on my soul a little bit. I don't like to be, 
um, looking in the mirror and going, I'm not a free man because I've, I've owed this for so long. And no one's bothering me for it. Um, when I had my hip repaired, the second hip repaired three years ago, um, that was after three years of needing it. And it was for the same reason as uh, the delay on the first hip replacement was that my um, copay was like four or five thousand bucks. And I just, and it was the middle of a recession and I wasn't working enough. And uh, my uh, my buddy, John, um, fronted it. He just said, here, you know, get your hip repair, repaired. And uh, and so he was the, he's going to be the next one. But uh, then things have been a little bit uh, sparse the last month or so. So. I mean, in, in uh, maintenance mode on that. But yeah, uh, money is money's tough. I mean, money always comes into it uh, one way or the other um, between people. Uh, but it's just, it can be poisonous. It can be really poisonous. Yeah, I think there's like a... Um, I guess when it all flows one way to, you know, can be a piece of it. Um, oh yeah. And uh but you know you I guess just we can we can move on past that probably. I was gonna, I was gonna say yeah. we um, just wanted death. But it's I mean it's an important piece because it's relevant to the whole, you know, what this is about in a way. Like, you know, we go through mm -hmm. these different phases, you know, and things are rough and things get better and and uh you know, uh, you do strike me, always have struck me as someone with a lot of integrity, you know. Um, and so it's appreciated, appreciated to hear you talk about, you know, you're, you're paying these people back. You could not, you know. I mean, yeah, it's not like well, you're living high and you're paying them back. You're, I, I, I envision, I mean, what are you doing now? Are you still living in your car? Or is, is... No, no, I, uh, I'm actually trapped in the poverty cycle of paying too much for my necessities to be able to pay for cheaper necessities. You understand? I'm uh, I'm living in a motel right now. It's a decent room, but it's like thirteen hundred a month. That's a two bedroom apartment up in the valley, but I don't have enough for a down payment because I've been paying off the debt, and I'm renting uh, I'm renting a rent a wreck truck again <laughs> for the last couple of years. And you know between the two of them, that's twenty five thousand bucks a year. But I don't have the three or four grand in one spot to be able to put a down payment on a truck or to uh, put down on a, on a, on a decent apartment. And plus, you know, with the last recession, my, uh, my credit uh, was incinerated again. So, you know, if I could even get a car loan, who knows, I'm going to have to get someone to co-sign for me. But, um, you know, those are, those are, uh, details. Those are things you work out. Um, and at this time, um, I'm just sort of waiting it out. You know, letting the money roll in when it rolls in and paying it out as it goes. And finally, it'll be done and I can use that money for my benefit. So, you know, it's uh, it, I'm building from scratch at uh, at retirement age, <laughs> put it that way. So you're voting for Trump, I take it? Yeah, yeah. You know, he's going to kick the asses of these goddamn Mexicans who are taking my. No, wait, I'm I'm hiring them for no. Uh, take it back. <laughs> <laughs> Not voting for him. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's yeah. Bernie all the way. Bernie, Bernie all, I know. I, it would be a really fascinating world if he wins. Uh, oh, I I think he's gonna. He's got I a real he, chance. Yeah, he really, really does. It it'll shake out into you know maybe someone rattles a skeleton in his closet we didn't know about and then might burst the bubble, or 
dirty politics or if he gets in a private plane in Michigan, who knows? Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. It's uh they can wellstone him. <laughs> yeah. That's a crazy thing. We're, we're going to try not to get too much into politics on this show just because it can't help but go to a dark place. But um, uh, Welcome to Dark Places. <laughs> uh, what, I, what did I want to ask you? Um, oh, before I forget, yeah. whatever happened to your little Aussie dog? Oh, she died a few years ago. Oh, yeah? She was probably pretty old. She was not old enough. Ah. Uh, yeah. What was her name? Her name was Bodie. Bodie, right, yeah. right, Yeah, right. she was the best dog in the world. And Oh, I remember uh, uh, coming to visit you at the shop and sitting in your chair, and she would just eat me all the Yeah, time. she would love up on you pretty hard if you let her. Yeah. yeah. I have I have a visual memory of her of her doing that with you, too, and you just eating it up and, and oh, yeah. her loving that fact. And, um she was a really delightful animal i mean um when i had a kid she became a lot less important you know i I think i think it was melissa etheridge or someone like that who said you know when you have children dogs when you have dogs dogs are your life they're like your kids but when you have kids dogs become dogs Uh uh-huh yeah sure and um i actually had two dogs plus when georgia moved in she had a dog and my second dog, Sasha, was just the bottom of the heap. You know, Bodie used yeah. to terrorize her, and I mean, Aww. she drew blood a few times. And Sasha would ask for it. Sasha would like pounce on Bodie, and then Bodie would pin her down pretty hard. You know, Sasha uh, developed this blood curdling scream that oftentimes nothing was happening to her, but it was, <laughs> you know, like, I'm dying over here. Um, I had people almost want to report me to the animal control because one of my dogs seemed so much so vicious to my other dog. But, um, and then Georgia had this big, beautiful uh, Belgian Malamud, and uh, and he was just as docile and friendly and and uh, sort of noble as can be. And so he and Bodie were about the same age, and male and female, they didn't have any problems. So I gave Sasha to one of my best friends. He had just gotten married, and he was visiting. And uh, you know, he and his wife were were here in town shortly after their wedding, and and. Um, I was like, you guys, they were looking for a dog. I said, you should take Sasha because she's dying here. Like she's just having the yeah. worst life. Yeah. And, and they're like, well, we don't know if we're going to like her. We don't want to bring hard feelings. I said, Hey, if you don't bond with her, you don't have to take her. And his wife was literally on the floor with Sasha for about 45 seconds before she decided to take that dog. <laughs> so, um, and then that night Bodie well, almost good. died because she'd run out from the yard and eaten some poison or something. And they were, oh. they were afraid then I wasn't going to give them Sasha. I was like, no, I'd already committed, you know, but, uh, oh, wow, that was, that must've been hairy. That was awful. We were having a party at the house because of these guys visiting. I invited all, you know, the friends that they already know here and stuff. And we were having a party at the house and Bodie was in the hospital all day and the hospital called me and they're like, she's really not doing well. Mm. And, um, and they said, you know, she, she sort of seems to have given up the will to live. Ooh. And I was like, that is that was, not she's Bodhi. pretty far gone because yeah. she's a lively. lively yeah, creature. very. And so I, I left my party as it was starting, and I went to the animal hospital, and I spent about two hours with her just like, I mean, she was just limp. And I spent about two hours with her in, you know, in my lap and stroking her, and I was like, you know, you just, you just can't die, Bodhi. You know, this is just you. You can't. That's you're and, not allowed to. And I just well, not that. I was just like, you're just you're a strong dog, and you know this does not need to take you. And um, 
and she turned the corner. The vet said she'd never seen anything like it. She said, I've never seen a dog turn the corner like that. Wow. And, and she, I mean, I, I honestly feel pretty confident. I mean, she was on fluids and everything else, and I'm sure that helped. But I'm pretty confident that it saved her life, that I went there and, and spent that um, couple no hours with her. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I certainly believe in that. Well, especially uh, with a dog. I mean, they're so – they will do anything for their owners, you know. I mean – Oh, yeah. They have, the faithfulness is astonishing. It really is. It's, it's un, it, there's no other relationship like it. Well, I haven't had a dog in 40 years. But I remember my dog. <laughs> right. My uh, my wife uh, took him when we separated because I was sort of peripatetic at the time. And uh, she just, you know, she kept all the animals, basically. Um, so, you know, you're, you're, you're too, you're just not up for it. So, and I had to agree with her because I didn't know where I was going. I was working in theater in uh, New York at the time. And, uh, you know, I ended up finding a permanent place. But for a while there, I was batting around couch surfing and you know the usual thing so yeah but i remember jeter lester that was his name it's a great name that's yeah, a name from uh steinbeck's tobacco road because uh i thought he was going to be like this little coonhound dog um and i just like the name too so <laughs> yeah jeter lester you you're jeter lester now that's cool he, yeah he was great he's a miniature shepherd um what's the What's the gold, uh, gold, golden retriever mix? So, you know, his temperament was fantastic. Yeah, that is. I mean, that would be a great temperament. Um, so tell me, let's see. Let's go back a little bit. Um, what's your kind right. of origin story? I mean, you... you. Uh... Well, I, I was born from the primordial ooze um, without a mother or father and with the spirit of the universe um, animating me. You know, if that had been true, we would have had a lot of different kinds of conversations over here. <laughs> well, you know, it's, what it's happened what after it... that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I sporulated and laid dormant for millions of years, and then, <laughs> and then my father met my mother, and yes, exactly. <laughs> let's hear. Let's hear about them. Well, what's to say? My father, I never knew. My real father, I never knew. He left when I was still an infant, like eight months a year mm. old um he just he took a powder and uh my ma is a full-blooded cayuga indian so that makes me uh a member of the tribe he's matrilineal like your jewish people are yep um and uh i was kind of raised half in and half out of that milieu my mom moved away from the reservation because it was kind of stifling and also it was next to a small town in upstate New York, near Buffalo, uh, Silver Creek, New York. And uh, the racism was just intense. So she uh, made her way to the big bad city. She met my father. Um, she worked as a graphic artist. She met my father. He was her boss. He was like 20 years older. They had me. He took off. And uh, then we moved to Chicago. So I, my first memories are of Chicago, which is a fantastic town. And I was just there. Um, couple three weeks ago uh, delivering a, a booth um and uh so for nine years i was an only child and she married my stepfather who i could not abide and um they lasted for another nine years and uh then i was off to college so that's the general outlines of things and where did you go to college cornell university cornell right yeah 
That's a good school. Yeah, it's a fantastic school. Beautiful place to go, too. They think it was fantastic. But, you know, touching back on what I was talking about in terms of not having comfort with yourself in the universe, I basically went to college because my mom said I was going to go to college. And I lucked out that I got a scholarship. Um, and uh, they, I was a good student. I mean, I had decent grades. I, had, I was in the top 10% of my class in a magnet school in Chicago. But probably not good enough to go to the Ivy League, except um, I was a little bit of an affirmative action kid. And um, a couple of things happened. First off, I was just gobsmacked at the sophistication of my fellow students. You know, I come from Chicago, which is no cow town anymore. And uh, I knew sophisticated people, I knew intelligent people. But when I got to this place that was populated almost exclusively with East Coast Jews, it was like, like, holy fuck, I got some catching up to do and I didn't know how to do it. So um, I I putzed around for two years, took a leave of absence because uh, this girl broke my heart and, you know, my purposelessness there came very um, evident to me. And after bumming around for a year, I went to Europe, did the whole, you know, um, continental tour with the backpack thing and came back and I was just about to leave again. And I stumbled into uh, the theater because I was looking for um, credits to fill my electives. And uh, just being in the place, I came home. It was like, oh, this is where I belong. And so that kept me there. That kept me there. And I... uh, graduated I don't know how because I never went to class I was always backstage um, and went to work in theater in New York um, and I lasted a few years there and uh, decided that professional theater wasn't for me so I came out here uh, to Los Angeles and um, the next 35 years is another story <laughs> I mean are you gonna tell it <laughs> no not right now okay it, yeah it's a little it, and I'm in a better mood because uh, I came out here uh, and I was duped. But, um, and honestly, it, I've been in Los Angeles in spite of myself. Um, I, I came from New York and I was absolutely enchanted with New York. I love New York. But um, I've stayed out here. Well, mostly because I had nothing to go to uh, when I, if I were to go back to New York. I was really there just for the theater. I didn't have a, a very extensive circle of friends that weren't theater people. And uh, so if I were to go back there, I would have to start completely over. And I didn't really want to do that. So, you know, I've been here for 35 years, uh, you know, going, uh, what's next? And, oh, um, another five years went by. <laughs> so, hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, we can circle back to it when, you know, if we, yeah. if we loosen it up a little bit, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. And I'll just say, you know, I'm going to ask you all kinds of questions and you're always okay. free not to answer them. You know, I mean, I don't want I don't want to put you in a bad spot. Um, but I also really like, you know, humanizing the people who I'm talking to. I mean, like, oh, it's, yeah, it's, uh, you know, the 11 people listening to this will really care. <laughs> and so it's there's a like there's a built-in safety among the small population of people and especially initially who are you know going to hear this stuff and then you know once the podcast becomes famous then you know they'll go back and you'll be a celeb 
Oh, all right. Fantastic. Um, but uh, I remember when I met you. Um, we you had a cabinet shop, and and I had been working up the street for Kurt, and you know you offered me an extra couple bucks an hour and way more responsibility. Uh, which I probably wasn't ready for, but you offered it to me <laughs> anyway. Well, I was looking for I was looking for somebody to take the strain. I was working eighty hours a week, ninety hours a week. Um, well, here here's a here's a pattern that's repeated twice in the last forty years. Uh, I got into cabinet making because I uh, met a guy who was a cabinet maker, and I was being I was being a carpenter at the time because I had been a uh, a commodities broker for a year and a half. Uh, lasted about the average for <clears throat> commodities brokers in the United States, a year and a half, discovered I couldn't sell in a bear market. So that was too way too much of a strain. And uh, I just decided to depend on my skills, which I'd learned in theater, and uh, also in New York, um, making a living when I wasn't working in theater. So, um, yeah, I got enamored of cabinet making, um, saw that it was pretty lucrative, uh, opened up the shop, and then um, the recession hit. <laughs> it was like I caught the last fleck of foam on the wave before it crashed. And when was, when is this? When was this? Uh, well, when did the, it was 80, 89 that the Berlin Wall fell? It was when the Soviet Union collapsed. Okay. Because all the um, aerospace money that was keeping construction afloat out here in Los Angeles just dried up like beer on a hot rock. Um, so yeah, there I was, I had uh, floated all this debt, uh, got all this equipment and, uh, was just, you know, I spent half my time assembling Ikea furniture for people. So yeah, I, I was looking for someone to take a little of the load off. You were working for Kurt, Kurt who? I forgot. I was working, well, uh, I was working for Kurt Gary at Kurt Craft. At Kurt Craft. He was, he was in that same area, you know, he was just, uh, up the block on a, you know, one of the industrial buildings off Colorado. Color- I forget right. the cross street. Colorado and Scott, I think. No. Uh, that was your name. Uh, well, I was, <laughs> well, I was in Nebraska, just south of Bundy. Yeah, he was walking distance from you. Okay. Yeah. You were all, everyone was walking distance from that cafe. What was that place called? Oh, uh, Young's. Young's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember well, that, that place. place well. uh, you'd, be, you'd be shocked. That place, that whole area has, has gentrified unbelievably. It's, um, it's all these creative types. It's all these millennials, you know, doing their their crafty startups. Uh, I've sold a couple of booths in a uh, uh, studio building to people. Um, and uh, it, uh, it it's just a lot cleaner, a lot cleaner and a lot more um, expensive, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Kurt had to leave his place because the building sold to someone new. And after him being there for like 30 years and definitely paying below market rent, but also being a very good tenant, Mm-hmm. Um, the landlord doubled or tripled the rent, and he just—that was it. That was the end of his business that he'd been running forever. And then he took a small shop, like off Adams or something. I haven't seen him mm-hmm. since then, and now I think he's making small projects and musical instruments, and and uh, you know, just yes. people survive. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, I've I've survived this long. Um, yeah, um, I yeah, I don't know if I ever met him. Did I ever meet him? You know, I don't know. I mean. The name is familiar, Kurtcraft. You know, uh, you guys may have met at one of my art openings or something. I mean, it's it's possible that you would have uh, met that way, right? Um, right. Because uh, yeah, you, so you, you, yeah. Um, I mean, I came you, to work for you in probably ninety five or maybe ninety uh, ninety four. 
you also met me through Deutschabend, didn't you? No, Wasn't I met. That? I was introduced to you by this guy named Doug. Um, I had a painting studio over in that area. I was renting studio space in that. There was a pretty cool um, space with a lot of uh, artists and shared, you know, who basically were in an open room and everybody had a wall and had kind of a studio, but yeah, each room had multiple artists in it. And Doug, who lived in his car, I think, <laughs> um, <laughs> he... And he kind of lived – I think he lived in his car in Kurt's parking lot. He worked for Kurt every now and then. He worked for that guy Larry, I think his name was. And oh, yeah. I he, remember Larry. He worked for Steve who worked, who had rented the back portion of Larry's shop. I think Larry lived in his shop upstairs or something. Um, that was kind of the slums of Santa Monica, so it was still pretty oh, nice. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was over – yeah, I remember that. Larry. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, um, I remember. he yeah. had a story. I mean, he went to Vietnam, fell in love with this woman, brought her over, brought her mother over, and then she left him. You know, it was one of those classic – Yeah. I, I ran into him – five or six, seven or eight years ago. Um, and we, uh, we, we exchanged stories and stuff in, uh, you know, it made me realize just how much time passed. Cause he looked, he looked old. Yeah. <laughs> he was, he was a few years older than I was. Um, and it really, really showed, you know, and now I look in the mirror and I go, who the fuck is that? So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that whole, it's coming back to me now. I just basically forgot about it. I hadn't thought about it in years and years. So, yeah, okay. So, Doug introduced us? Yeah, so this guy, Doug, his girlfriend had a studio. Um, she, you know, she had a wall that was 90 degrees to my wall, you know. Um, and she was really nice. There were there were a handful of people that I really liked in there. But I was, like, you know, 24, and I was super excited about being around other artists. I'd just come back from Europe, and and I, you know... I wanted to have uh, exposure, as much exposure as possible. And these guys had a big show once a year where uh-huh. the galleries would come in, and I was all about getting a gallery. I mean, I was pretty aggressive in that way. Um, and the people well, who are, ran the you place. Were always, you've always been a hustler. You've always been aggressive about going after what you want. You're not You're not a passive guy by any means. Well, I'm going to – I don't know how to take that. <laughs> no, it's a, good, it's a good thing. It's a good I mean, thing. I admired oh, thank that. You. I admired that back then. Because uh, I tend to let things slide a little bit. Well, I'll never forget when uh, we had that job glazing windows at that Tante Helena's house or something like that. Remember oh, that? Yeah. And she ended up buying my family's heirloom piano. And you were like, <laughs> boy, you just <laughs> – <You'll... laughs> yeah, I forget how you said it. But like, you know, you'll just there's – no... there's nothing you won't do. <laughs> there's no opportunity you won't seize. It was something along those lines. Yeah. Um, but I remember her little kid. Yeah. She, yeah. She had. Uh, she had a brat. <laughs> yeah. She had a. She had a couple kids. One was really a baby. Um, but uh, but she was very sweet. She was really kind. Is that's my recollection of her. Yeah. Oh, she was um, very much. I also much rem- so. remember you hiring asking me to supervise, and you not. <laughs> well, no, I just didn't understand the assignment. You already, you're already still mad about it. <laughs> Have that guy dig one foot by one foot holes or something, and I made. They were like a foot deep and two feet wide, and you're like, oh god, for, yeah. <laughs> for fence posts. Yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. Oh, don't worry about it. Um, they stood full of water for a year um, <laughs> until until the, uh, one of his kids fell in it. I oh, said, no. You got to do this, so I came and did what I had to do. Oh gosh. Um. One of his kids fell. That's how big I made the holes. Like whole yeah. kid could fit in there. Yeah. Um, he could bathe in there. So, uh, sink holes. Um, 
so I was in this art studio and um, I was there for like a month and they kicked me out. Really? Because they said I was too loud and too interactive. And like I wanted to critique with people. I wanted to talk to people. I, I had been working in my parents' garage for like six months or a year or something. And that wasn't working out anymore because I would paint all night. And the, the garage shared a wall with a guest house. And, and this kid who lived in the guest house was unrelated to us. We had the main house. And he rented the guest house from the owners. And... Um, I would keep him up at night and he never said anything for a really long time. And then he wrote a letter to the landlord instead of just saying something to me. So then he and I arranged that, you know, he would, um, I could work until, uh, 1130 when cheers was over (laughs) and literally like I would hear him watch cheers. This is back when everybody watched cheers at 11 o'clock and I would hear him watch cheers, uh, and, then you know when when the song came back on at the end i was like oh fuck i gotta stop you know yeah, and then he'd yeah. knock on the wall that was our routine and i'd go in the house so that wasn't working anymore so i needed a real space so i was very excited to be around people and be around artists and and i mean i was so into painting at that time that's a shame you got disappointed like that because that's um that's one of those times in life where if it falls into place right it can really jet propel you and if you get squashed, it can really re- retard your progress. So, you know, it's too bad it didn't work out that way, that, that you, the ideal way that you wanted. Yeah, I mean, well, I had a, you know, a few incarnations around that. I mean, I, I, I went to that studio. I worked for like a month. And then the guy's like, you got to go. And then, um, which really took me by surprise. They didn't give me any warnings or, you know, maybe they did. They probably came over and said, you know, can you quiet down a little bit or something? I, I probably didn't recognize the warning signs, but they were probably there. Mm. And uh, so then I went to a different studio down the street, um, and I was there for three or four months. And then I think I went to Europe. I think I just up and went to Europe. Oh, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I met you after your return from Czechoslovakia. Yeah. Okay, but that was between those two times. (laughs) Like, I returned from Czechoslovakia, then a year and a half later, I went back to Europe. Um, And so I worked for you in that year and a half. Oh, okay. And then I went back because I went back to Berlin for six months. Um, and uh, and so when I met you is before I went to Berlin because I have uh, I still have them. I have some letters that you wrote to me. Like we exchanged a couple back when people wrote, wrote letters. Write letters. Really? Did yeah. I, did I actually write letters? You wrote. This is a long time ago. This is the mid nineties. Yeah, you wrote me wow. some of the best letters I've ever gotten. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> they were just so filled with your sense of humor and and. They were really thoughtful and 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 funny and uh, yeah, it was great. I still have them. I'll I'll uh, scan right. them and send them to you so you can. That'd be nice. Go yeah, back it, to it, that time. Yeah, it was cool. You know, I don't have much of a of a detailed memory. You know, things happen. I experience them and then I'm on to the next thing. And then when I try to recall it, I got to spike it to something. And uh, I there's no detail to it. So this uh, that would be fun to uh, it'd be fun to read that and, and uh, have things well up and inside me. <laughs> I will have feelings for the first time in 30 years. That'll yes. be amazing. <laughs> feelings. <laughs> so, um, uh, well, did I have the shop then? So, yeah. So what happened was uh. I um, I was working in one of these studios. I don't remember which studio I was working in when I started to work for you. But my dad had originally said I needed to get a job working. And I got a job in a cafe. And that was a nightmare. And so then I got a job <laughs> doing woodworking. And I worked for Kurt. And then I worked for you. And... Um, two days after I started working for you, uh, your shop burned down. Like we delivered the kitchen, thank goodness. We 
like okay. the first day I assembled a whole kitchen for you. I'd never assembled a cabinet in my life. You taught me how to do it, and then you left me to my devices and <laughs> said, you know. And I remember I had to leave, but I didn't leave until I finished the last couple cabinets. And I remember sure. that made a real impression on you. You you know, you were like, thank you for finishing. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was big. I remember – I don't remember that. I don't remember that you worked on a project like that. Um, I certainly remember the shop burning down. It was two uh, days before the shop burned down. So it's possible that my having um, done something nice for you was mildly overshadowed by you losing everything you'd worked for for so long. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just yeah. thinking it could happen. <laughs> That's just spitballing there, just throwing it Yeah, I mean, anything's possible. So um, Yeah, there's another thing. There's another thing that can make you fail is disaster. Yeah, well, it was a, some homeless guy like threw a cigarette in a dumpster that was under the eave of the building that... well it, it wasn't just uh my dumpster it was dumpsters throughout the neighborhood in larry's uh, complex he set a dumpster fire too it was oh. like he, four or five of them that same night yeah and it was overfilled and um the um the flames reached up into the open rafters of this <laughs> corrugated tin building and burn it out yeah that was uh, that was a lot of fun oh god i remember coming in there the next day i remember showing up for work I don't know if you called me or not. I mean, this is before cell phones and pagers, you know. Yeah. I remember showing up for work and there not being a shop there. <laughs> or or maybe I was on site because at least we delivered that job. I mean well, – Do you remember who that job was? I don't remember the woman's name, but I remember it was right near – it was on the Miracle Mile. It was right off Wilshire and there was a duplex. We were doing the upstairs and the downstairs kitchen. And God, I don't remember that job at all. Okay, well, let me. I'm gonna refresh your memory about a few things. So, okay. <laughs> um, so we were doing this job off off Wilshire, and it was a little, you know, like apartment building. The apartment building probably had like six apartments in it, or four. I don't That's know, but we were doing. To come back to me a little bit. Yeah, we were doing the uh, the kitchens in two of them, and they were like, you know, there's a row of garages in the back, and it was kind of hard to get in and out of there, and. And I remember a couple things. I remember installing an upper cabinet. I remember having wet paint and then installing an upper cabinet, and then the back of the cabinet swelled out because the yeah. it yeah. wasn't um, sealed, sealed on the back. back. Yeah, right. and that was a little minor freak out. And then, uh, understandably, because the thing was installed, I remember that she had an old refrigerator, and you had built the space to exactly. I remember. I remember. Yeah, and then uh, plastered it up. Yep, and uh, and um, build up the plaster so much that we had it hit in with a sledge. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I remember, I was like, what are you doing? Like, cause this fridge is gonna die soon, and it's never gonna come out. Like, I just couldn't believe that we were. I mean, it was an hour to get that thing in there. That was that was. Oh yeah, that yeah. was insanity. Well, it would have been you know half a day to uh, rebuild it. So yeah, you're. Right. Now, I remember the job. I I do remember the job. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. here was the other horrifying thing that happened was that she had a neighbor or maybe she owned the building was one of her tenants. I, rem I remember this. Yeah. So you got, you got, you got toasted for that. Well, yeah, but I didn't mean anything by it, but she had this African-American tenant and he would just show up out of nowhere. And I just asked him like innocently, I was like, where do you keep coming from? You know, like I was just curious. It was such an innocent question because I don't care, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm certainly not, I don't think racist in any way you know i don't care where people come from or what they're made of i mean as long as they're cool people and i was fascinated and curious and um i he said i live up there i was like oh i was wondering you know and then went back to my my work 
And then the next day, you kind of called me out. You're like, did you accost one of the tenants here? Because <laughs> he's a professor at UCLA, and you know, like he, this guy's a doctorate. And I got it secondhand. What can I say? She was she was pissed. Oh man, she was, she was really upset. Understandably, except that you know, a lot well, of I things said, were presumed. I'm, sh- I'm sure he didn't mean anything by it. Blah blah blah. Jason's not like that. Blah blah blah. But you know, it's people just took it wrong. One of those things that um, maybe we should have come together and you apologize and explain yourself and he wouldn't accept it and then we would be all fucked up (laughs) (laughs) well i remember you being like technical term for resolving that kind of situation (laughs) yeah i remember you saying you know did you say that i was like oh yeah totally i just couldn't figure out what dory came out of and you were like well i just i need to make sure like if you're if you have any problem with black people like you're not going to be able to work for me i was like are you kidding me you know did i say that yeah Ah. I mean, rightfully well. so. I mean, I would have – you said it politely. You you weren't accusatory at all, but you mm-hmm. were like – we didn't know each other that well, but obviously you didn't have the sense that I was a yeah, bigot yeah. in any way, you know, and I really don't think I am. And and uh, and that certainly was nowhere near my motivation when I was having that, you know, interchange with the guy. So, yeah, that was a really – I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, that was a, <laughs> that was a crazy experience. So um, And then after we finished the installation, you're like, well – Thanks so much for all your help. And I was out of a job. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I was, I was out of my ass. You were out of a shop. Yeah, I know. It was, it was worse yeah. for you. But. but yeah, by then I was living in that um, that hillside house. <clears throat> oh, you had the best house up in Laurel Canyon. It was the best of houses. It was the worst of houses. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Like <laughs> it, was, it was an amazing deal. It was 600 bucks a month, which I couldn't pay because I was, you know, arthritic and out of work. And uh, my shop had burned down. Uh uh, but it had the most amazing view. You know, you know, you saw it. it I was there it, a lot. I helped yeah. you do all kinds of. We painted the cabinets. We installed a tile floor or something in one of the rooms. Like, you were doing uh, a lot of work to make that place better. The roof leaked. We put up a bunch of OSB on the roof, and then you had to move yeah. out before you used it all. And then we moved it to one of my shops and lined a garage with it. <laughs> um, yeah, I had it sanded. I remember, and then and then cut into squares, and we used that as a tile. Uh, so it was an OSB floor. Okay. Yeah. No, you know, if I had even a halfway steady income, um, I could have made that place really hot. Uh, but the roof leaked. I could not stop the roof from leaking. And I mean, when it leaked, it leaked. I had a, I had a run in the bedroom. Uh, I had plastic, uh, uh, underneath the whole ceiling tapered down to, um, a place where it could run off, uh, into a tube out the door. <laughs> and it had, and it had no heat. Then so in the winter time it was frigid. Yeah. So it was like camping out, but it was a cool house. Oh man! And, and you had a view. Yeah, from uh, from LAX to like, God, at least to Long Beach, and then farther farther east from there. So yeah, it was really nice. Yeah, that was a really cool place. When uh, when it was cloudy or there was fog, um, I could look out and I could see downtown poking up and century city poking up and just this field of white so it was it was really neat to look at i really enjoyed that and the summer times uh, sitting on a porch was really cool too so yeah so i uh, i packed up what tools i had left my table saw fortunately was still was still working and i uh outfitted the garage there and had a little bit of a shop in that but by then the recession was in full deep horribleness right <laughs> i just i can't even describe it so yeah that was it was a struggle you know i was struggling 
Well, I remember ending up with your jointer. Oh, did I show you that? Well, it's sort of. You, uh, you, I think I needed a jointer when I had the, the garage shop on Sierra Bonita. Right. And I, I needed it or wanted it or you needed to use it and you needed a place and you left it there for a while. And then you owed me like $200. Oh, and, okay. and you were like, how about if you just keep it instead of the 200 bucks? I was like, dude, it's an $800 machine. You're like, well, I don't have the money, so you win. <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> Did I okay. say that? <laughs> well, so, so I took the joiner and I used it for a while. I even moved it to Van Nuys when I moved. And then I was changing the blades on it. And it was the I I was like running out the door to go to therapy, and I'd spent the whole day lining up these blades, mm-hmm. and I was tightening literally the last bolt, and it was a lot looser than I thought, and I just went straight for tightening it as hard as I could, and I slammed my hand down on the blade and cut my thumb open. Oh geez, I still have the scar from it. Um, and uh, well, they'll take parts of your body. <laughs> as soon as it healed, I I went out to Jesse at Eagle Tools, and I bought a brand new joiner that had those Tursa heads where you could pop the blades out and change them without ever injuring yourself. Uh-huh. And I traded in the old joiner and I mean, I, he gave me a few bucks for it and, uh, and I used it to buy all these other machines from him. And then I was using that machine and I was, I had the wood kind of stopped up in there, the wood chips, and I was cleaning them oh. out with my hand and the machine was on and I cut my hand on that joiner. <laughs> well, that's because it was a jointer planer, yeah. You were reaching underneath uh, to get the exhaust clear. Yeah, right, right where the planer. <laughs> oh, it was so stupid. I mean, I just place. can't believe I did that. But, um, and I felt like this weird, like, and it was just Ooh. shaving my fingernail, you know. Um, and I did it like twice. Like I did it once, and I was like, oh, that was weird. I did it again. I was like, that feels odd. And I pull my hand out, <laughs> and, I, and I've been jointing off my fingernail from the underneath. <laughs> oh God, I mean, I'm getting like. You know, my yeah, skin's the, just tightening shivers, up thinking about the shivers, it. shivers, yeah. Yeah, you could have pulled out some bloody stumps if you kept it in there long. Oh, God, yeah. That was that was awful. <laughs> um, so, uh, anyway, yeah, I'll just never – so that joiner, I finally – I was so happy to see that thing go. I was like, man, the karma attached to this joiner, I'm just – it's going to a stranger. Um, <laughs> I want nothing to do with it anymore. Because hopefully that person would, you know, have a clean relationship with it. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, or his bloodlust had been sla- slaked by then. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it had, uh, it, it had, um, oh man, I can't think of the right phrase, but it was trying to avenge itself and it succeeded. Ah, okay. Um, anyway, well, so, yeah, so, all right, so what happened next? So, uh, I remember, so, oh, so, uh, next thing that happened was that they threw me out of there because, um, they sold it. Oh, and I had the nastiest landlord. Um, he's this little old Jewish guy. Uh, and his wife was in Deutschhaven. That's how I found out about it. But he was just an asshole. Um, you know, I was late on the rent, but it was 600 bucks, and these guys were rolling in dough. Um, and besides, it was, it was a shithole. I mean, it was he was making money off of really substandard housing. Yeah, for sure. That was not... That would yeah. not have passed any. Uh... But I did. I did learn how to cook in that house because, um, you know, it was a period of severe underemployment, shall we say. Um, and I spent the time uh, when I had days on end with nothing to do. I spent the time watching cooking shows. I would watch like six, seven hours of cooking shows. And I believe it was just when the Food Network started. So they had a lot more how to 
um, shows than they have now. Now it's all competition and Guy Fieri being a dick and um, uh, and and contests and that kind of thing. But back then they were it was technical shows. They would show you how to like make um, make uh, the mother sauces, hollandaise and um, bechamel and blah blah blah. And I had enough to buy food, <clears throat> so I would I would go out to the supermarket and buy just you know two three hundred dollars worth of groceries and then spend the whole weekend cooking so um and i'm a damn good cook now um i think it, i cooked for your get-togethers once when yeah were, the thursday night dinners we'll have to talk yeah. about that that was a yeah. golden era yeah it was it was um yeah but then you know my at the same time my hip is just killing me um i had insurance but I had no money and I couldn't do it without the, the copay. So, uh, oh no, no, what happened was, uh, yeah, when I got thrown out of the house, I lost my insurance. Yeah, and then it took three or four years for me to be able to get it back and then a year waiting before I made the claim. So I was hobbling around on a cane for like four years, five years. So I was semi-crippled. And um, yeah, it was... That was tough, I have to say. Yeah. No, no money, no health, no girlfriend. Um, so uh, yeah, it uh, it took a while to get back together. Uh, then I got my hip replaced, and then I started I started working for you. <laughs> <laughs> God help you! Oh, remember we had that framing job, like framing as in making picture frames. Oh yeah. Remember we cut like forty frames. Oh, that was. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's those make-do jobs. Um, it's like your buddy, the master furniture maker. You know, he's 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 working way below his, his skill level, but you know, he doesn't have the opportunity. He doesn't have the orders. He, you know, he he can't do it, and he's got to he's got to put food in his mouth and keep a roof over his head. So that's what he does. So that's what we were doing. So I was grateful for that because um, otherwise, I wouldn't have had anything going on. Well, you know, it worked both ways because I remember I was able to take on jobs that were outside of my expertise. And, you know, with your assistance and your experience, we were able to do things. I was yeah. really able to learn a lot on the job. So it worked out. I mean, it was pretty symbiotic. Yeah, um, yeah. I would no, like to think. You saved my ass. So. <laughs> well, and I got to, to learn. I mean, because I ended up. I mean, you remember I got that real shop. It's like 1,800 yeah. square feet and all the crazy machinery. I mean, by the time I sold that business, um, you know, I'd did, really learn how to build stuff. I mean, it was... Did, did you make a profit? I sold it for exactly what I owed. Really? I was $90,000 in debt, and I sold it for $90,000. And I sold it on Craigslist. <laughs> 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 I put an ad on Craigslist that said, cabinet shop for sale, $90,000. You can move in today and build your first kitchen tomorrow. <laughs> and If you um, lived here, you'd be home by now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was exactly it. But it was true. I mean, the place was totally decked out. It was turnkey. Um, oh, no, that was, that was a magnificent little shop. Oh, yeah. I really liked it. I loved it, yeah. Um, and this guy named Jim uh, was looking to change his life. And I remember he, he was – he was he lived in Venice. He wasn't sure what he was going to do, and he had looked at buying a French fry um, <laughs> store, like you know, where that last piece of Venice Boulevard hits the boardwalk. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, he probably would have made out. Well, no, there was something that happened. This is, uh, this is post nine eleven. 
Mm -hmm. This must be like 2000. He bought it in 2004. So this must have started in 2003 because he strung me along for like six months. Uh And um, was he your only prospect? Well, I knew he was going to buy it. Ah. So I stopped looking for other prospects. I gotcha. And um, I just had a sense that he really wanted it. And I liked him. He was a really nice guy, also really intelligent. I mean, by the time I left, it was pretty ugly, but um, he just, he was always seeking out gossip. Somehow he just ended up, uh, it's a long, convoluted story, but he would find out all kinds of horrible things and draw the worst possible conclusion about me unbeknownst to me and then come in the next day and start yelling at me about something that i did not do what well what right did he have to yell at you about that stuff well none in my mind but he felt like he he always felt like he paid too much for the business and that i you know Uh. took advantage of him and and meanwhile i sold him the business i stayed there for six months i I, oh you 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 helped with his transition yeah i helped him transition he wanted Uh to pay me 40 dollars an hour i said you're not going to be able to afford that let's do 35 and then when it became apparent that he was going to be losing money on every job paying me 35 an hour. I said, why don't I just, why don't we just bid the jobs? I'll do all the work. I'll teach you how to do it. And you know, wow. We'll pay for the materials and then you can take 15% of the what's left and give me the rest, you know? So you're guaranteed you're making something. It was something like that. And then I ended up taking on some jobs that people wanted me to do it and only me to do it. Uh-huh. So then I sort of rented his shop for fifteen percent of the the gross on the job. Uh-huh. Um, well, I mean, it's flexible. Yeah, we tried to yeah. make it work, you know. But uh, then we hired somebody, and and I trained that guy. I mean, he was really talented. That guy was more talented than I was in some ways. Um, the guy, the guy that you hired, not the, the guy, guy that, that we hired to to run the shop when I was gone, because the guy uh-huh. that bought the shop, he just didn't know enough to to run it. Okay. Um, and I think he kind of realized that, and he got himself in over his head. And and sort of took it out on me, you know. Uh-huh. Anytime someone went wrong in his life, even for years after I'd sold the shop, I'd get a phone call from him yelling at me about something. Like when my credit went bad, this I understood this, but my credit went bad at one point, like really bad. And to, after two thousand eight or something, when when the banks just overnight stopped loaning money. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh-huh. Well, that's that's the second thing. Yeah, you know, two thousand eight. That's where I got wiped out, clean down to the rind. Oh, and... we all got hammered on that <laughs> yeah. one, man. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I kind of got out by the skin of my teeth. I mean, I, I got really lucky and all my debt was, most of my debt was forgiven. And I borrowed a few bucks from friends to, you know, pay everything off at 25 cents on the dollar. I mean, I, you know, it's oh, an nice. awful thing, but I was able to get out of it and not declare bankruptcy. Uh-huh. But in hindsight, I should have just declared fucking bankruptcy. It would have been smarter. Because yeah, I just later, finished indeed. paying off just last month, uh, this month, February. I, this month I finished paying off my personal debt that I borrowed to pay to get out of that credit card crisis. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, um, uh, so I sold him the shop and um, and we hired this guy and it just became a hobby of his to beat me up anytime something was wrong in his life um, <laughs> and, and poison this guy who he hired against me. And, you know, meanwhile... I mean, I built that shop up from nothing. I know, yeah. And, you know, it was kind of amazing what I had accomplished and, you know, learned. That was a real, that was a real production shop. No, it was, that was pretty good. Yeah. I, had I mean, I was jealous. Play. I never got that far with mine because, you know, it burned down. 
it burned down <laughs> and I had the luxury of, you know, better credit. I mean, I was able to buy all those machines. I mean, I bought machines that that the guys who didn't have any experience working, you know, could work for me and create some of the same results. I mean, the, the machines were that good. That was my... Yeah, yeah like the panel saw. The panel the saw, the planer, yeah. everything was digital. I mean, that was my move. Um, let these guys be able to create, you know, really accurate results without having the necessary skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but still, I didn't use that shop as much as I could have. I mean, he turned it in. He made a lot more money than I did because uh, he had a much more business savvy mind. But uh-huh. he was going to buy this French fry shop, and I forget what happened. I think it was um, the Iraq War, and the French were not supporting us. Oh. And there, be- <laughs> there became this really anti-French sentiment in the country. Yeah, freedom fries. Freedom yeah. fries, exactly. They started calling him freedom fries. And and he, I remember him coming in one day. He's like, I got to say, Jason, you really saved my ass. Imagine if I bought that French fry shop. I'd be completely destitute right now. Wow. You know, I'm really happy I bought your... But wait, not in Venice. People weren't against French fries in Venice. I mean, the Freedom Fry things was the the, uh, the Capitol Cafe that Congress goes to. And it was right-wing Republicans who insisted on not calling it French anything. It, But it became a thing. Like, it wasn't... It was the worst possible time to have a business that only sold French fries. Yeah, okay. possibly the only time in history that that would be a bad business <laughs> was right around this time, and so it was it was this kind of thing where he would walk in, he walked in, he's like, "Thank you so much for selling me this shop, and you know me not buying that French fry shop." And then we had the same mechanic, this guy named Ed, who was a real smooth talker in Santa Monica, and I had talked to Ed about buying the shop. And I, he's like, oh, you cabinet makers make all the money, you know? And I was like, well, you can buy my shop. He's like, oh, maybe I'll do that. I'll buy it for my dad. Give him something to do. And I had told uh, the guy who bought my shop this. And he went and he was talking to Ed. And he's like, hey, Ed, you know, you know, Jason, we both know someone in common. He's like, oh, yeah, Jason, he, you know, how's he doing? He hasn't been in in a while. And he says, well, he's good. I bought his cabinet shop. He's like, what'd you pay for it? He's like, I, I paid his asking price, 90000 And Ed's like, oh, man, I was going to give him fifty. Yeah, right. And I said, well, and so Jim came in. You, he would have he, he would have given it to you and given it right back. Yeah, no, I mean, I wouldn't have taken it. But yeah. Jim didn't know that. And he came in with a head of steam, and he was so mad. And I was like, what's going on, dude? You know, he's kind of passive aggressive. I was like, what yeah, happened? Yeah, sitting over there steaming. Yeah, and right. so he yeah. told me the story about Ed. He's like, well, I just got back from Ed, and he said you were going to sell him the shop for $50,000. I said, I never said that. He said, well, that's his impression. I said, well, maybe that's what he was going to offer, but that doesn't mean I was going to say yes. And I said, you know, I told him, I'm like, dude, I don't know why you have so much distrust in me, but if you have a question, you should just ask me. I mean, don't just assume the worst and come in here all you know, crazy. Some people have that dynamic. Some people have that process. It, you know, it, it's one thing that I've learned is how to spot that kind of thing uh, in the uh, and nip a relationship with people like that in the bud because I just don't want to deal with it anymore. Um, it's like. It, there's a little bit of inappropriateness to some response. My antennae go up like full strength, and I'll even test it, you know. Uh, and if and if I get that kind of thing that you say you you've gotten from your guy, I'll just I'll bail, I'll just bolt. Well, it was a little more complicated than that. Well, you yeah, you had ninety thousand bucks of his money, and he had your shop. So. Well, I didn't have a hundred percent of the money. Oh, you didn't. He paid me. You know, he paid me f- like. Forty or fifty thousand, and then 
he um he needed some time because his dad gave him some money for it and so he had to wait for that to come in and how old is this guy how old is he uh he's probably about five or ten years older than i am he might have been 40 at the time okay i was 34 Um, okay and uh um his dad is you know ex-military i mean you know pretty hard-ass dude right uh he brought his dad in to meet me to kind of so his dad could size me up a little bit and um (laughs) and uh are your intentions honorable yeah exactly and this is before you know before he bought the shop and you know and then disappeared for three months whatever whatever it's all so long ago but uh i remember that um you know he hadn't paid me all the money i couldn't just up and leave Right, and I had started projects for people, and I was in the middle of the projects, and I couldn't leave the projects either. So we had to work it out. Uh-huh. But we did have an agreement that I would stay for six months, and if I bailed or he fired me in the first month, that it was ten thousand dollars. It was a severance pay. I would either have to pay him ten, or he'd have to pay me ten. Okay. And then, in the second month, it went to five, and then three, and then two, and then one, and then five hundred, or whatever the scale was. And he cut me loose a month early, and he paid me the thousand dollars to leave. Oh wow! You know, he's like, he said, you know, he just came in one day. He's like, Jason, no hard feelings, but I want. He's like, you know, I want my shop to myself. Well, yeah, and that was fine. I was thrilled. I got to leave <laughs> and move to North Carolina and do what I wanted to do that much sooner. Uh, and it was, and you know, um, by the time I left, we were kind of back in each other's good graces, and then. I remember I came back to LA a month later and I had a couple projects I had to finish and he wanted me to use the shop at night and it was to- this was completely my fault. I see I got into like building this tabletop out of all the old leftover pieces of wood and he's like, "Dude, I own that wood now. Like you can't yeah. just use that wood." And I was like, "It's useless except for this project. It doesn't doesn't matter." And then I was doing it during the day because I was seeing friends at night and finally he came in one day with his wife and he was furious and he's like, "Hand me the keys. You're not allowed to come here anymore." you know and oh, wow. get your shit and get the fuck out like literally wow and it was pretty awful but i have to say i understood it like i he wasn't in the wrong he could have handled it nicer but <laughs> uh but he wasn't wrong and i really understood that was that was one of the times that i really understood how my sort of only child syndrome Oh yeah, yeah. Was yeah. uh destroying my relationships. Like I just didn't see it. I didn't see what I was doing to the other person. Ah. Uh, well, that would explain the rules. Well, yeah, so tell me about these rules because I, you know, No, it well, you know, I, I it's an expression for coming up against a certain obstinacy um when I would suggest something. Um that you would want it one particular way and that would be it and you weren't really open for discussion. And uh, a lot of it was, God, it's so long ago. Who can remember details now? It's just that uh, you were pretty convinced that you wanted it this way, and that's the way it was going to be. And so you could either submit or, you know, tell you to fuck off. (laughs) And you did both. You You tried all different options. In in that order. (laughs) I, you know, I, I played out the string. What can I say? Oh, man. Oh, it was just a quirk, you know, it's a, it's a personality quirk of yours. You're a warm guy and you were really good to me when I was really down and out. So, I mean, I can't uh, I can't complain about that. Um, you're real strict about your stuff, your your physical stuff. Yeah. It was like, yeah. That hasn't changed. Oh, yeah. 
That's mine. Well, so, it wasn't you know. that. I don't mind sharing. I'm happy to share things. They just have to be cared for. Oh, yeah. You know, and no one cares for things the way I do, except for the woman who works for me now, this woman, Lindsay, who is like the greatest invention ever. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's actually her husband who's helping me with the podcast. Like, I'm really close with their family. They're amazing people. And, <laughs> um, you know, she and I share a lot of the same neuroses. And so when I want to do something that's totally overkill, she's like, oh, my God, I wish I'd thought of that. Uh. <laughs> In instead of why, you know, that's stupid. Yeah. Like the two of us are always out meticulousizing each other. And <laughs> oh, that's a word. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's it's meticulated. It's, it's, it's not. <laughs> um it's not fun feedback, but it's important feedback. I mean, I genuinely appreciate it because I, I care a lot about the people in my life, you know, um, and I, I care, I mean, care and cared a lot about you, you know. I mean, you were a really important friend. I remember my mom meeting you at one of my art openings, and I overheard her thanking you for introducing me to NPR. <laughs> really? <laughs> She's like, are you the Scott who introduced my son to a public radio? Because they listened to it. When I was a kid, but I was uh -huh. never into it, you know. Oh well, um, I'm glad that I could do that. Yeah, you That's did. They really appreciated it. They they remember you fondly, if only for that, but other other things as well. I <laughs> see. Your that was um, your dad's wife. No, that was my biological mother. Who, oh, okay. Who did that. Yeah. Um, your dad's wife is Holly, right? Holly, right? Yeah. I can't remember. I can't believe I remember that name. Well, you spent a lot of <laughs> Thursday night dinners with her. I mean, ah, right. She would I remember. Come all the I remember time. one time at the house on. Uh, uh, the little Spanish house with the full suite of furniture. Um, I said, no, I made it all. You know, and she went, she was saying, God, he made those couches and those chairs. People do the same thing in my house. I have these hideously ugly fabric couches that I, I just, when I was sofa shopping, I didn't know how to buy a sofa. And my friends had these same sofas. I was like, I'll just get those, you know. And then I couldn't get the color I wanted. And I got this awful color. Like everything about them, I hate these couches. If I sell this house, I'm not taking the couches. And even if the new owner doesn't want them, he's getting them. And you want you own the house? I own a house. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I bought it when I got here. I had excellent credit still, and it was the era, it was the era of the no doc loan. Ah. And I no doc the shit out of this place. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, "How much money do you have in your bank?" I was like nothing and they're like well you're gonna need down payment i was like oh yeah no i've got fifty thousand. <laughs> <laughs> and then i got on the phone and borrowed fifty thousand from some friends and made a down payment and bought this house wow so yeah this you house could, is you, crazy you could make that kind of phone call wow uh at the time i got no one to call today man yeah. i called you but no luck <laughs> <laughs> i can lend you 50 bucks <laughs> no, you know what i'll take it okay uh, <laughs> I'm no. popping in the mail tomorrow. No, no, no. By the time it gets here, I'll have already spent it too many times. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so, uh, yeah, so people, I, you know, all my furniture that I made in L.A. and some I made here, it's all in my house. And so people will ask me, like, where'd you get this furniture? I'm like, I made it, you know. And they're like, all of it? I said, yeah. I said, everything in the house, I built it. And they're like, really? You made these couches? I'm like, no, I didn't make those ugly-ass couches. Why would well, I make a couch? Like, well, I made everything, every table. They weren't they weren't ugly-ass couches because they were the new Sears ones that you lent me the money to buy. 
Remember that? No, yours are beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I, I had forgotten, but yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> Where are my couches? <laughs> uh, they're, they're landfill now, man. <laughs> I love those. Actually, those are really nice. And I remember you had set it up in a way that was, I'd never seen anyone set up a living room like that. And it was all perfect. Everything was at a weird angle toward the TV and it was, it worked. Yeah. It was a great little place to live, you know, until they sold it out from under me. Ugh. So, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, well, you know, like I say, I've, I've, I've learned a lot of different ways to fail. My own character, disaster, disease, destruction, um, deception. That's just the Ds. So. <laughs> let's, <laughs> extortion. Let's Extor- move on to the Es. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's been a ride. I, um, yeah, I find myself, I'm 64. I'm going to be 65 in April, and uh, and I actually don't get Social Security till 66, um, but I, I could I could retire a little early and get some. <clears throat> but <clears throat> there's so much less in front of me than there what than there is behind me, and I just don't know where the fuck it went. Because um, I I just don't know where it went. It's it's that experience. I'm sure you know. Millions of people have had it before, but I'm having it now. Yeah. I can, I mean, I'm 46, mm-hmm. so I'm 20 years behind you. But I've, and I think partly it's having a child and realizing how much of her life is presumably and hopefully in front of her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how much of it I'm not going to be around for her. Yeah, yeah. And and just like it's just weird my mortality is something I'm for the first time I'm aware of it. Like, you know, I was aware of it in an abstract sense when I was young and nihilistic, yeah. but but now it's like, wow, I mean I'm That's not going to be here it's forever. A... How do I want to spend my time? Yeah, yeah. And you know, well, and then I find myself with a limited range of choices. Um, which I'm glad I have some anyway. Uh, and I realized that, you know, I just, it's basically, it's playing out the string now. Um, unless something fortunately disastrous happens, extraordinary happens. Um, I'm basically, this is, this is the path I'm going to walk until I kick off. Well, what are you doing now? Tell me what's going on now. Well, I've got this business building and installing, uh, isolation booths for home recording studios. And uh, I fell into that. Um, let's see, how did that happen? Um, I had I had built one for my friend that I was writing a comedy for. Uh, I actually built out his garage. I didn't build out a booth, and that went really well. Um, and so I thought, well, you know, I asked around a little bit because I have all these voiceover friends <clears throat> or acquaintances, and uh, a guy called me up. Um, who uh, was running a audiobook production facility out of his rented house. And he had built these, uh, they're called DAW booths, you know, D-A-W, Digital Audio Workstation, DAW booths, uh, plans and uh, instructions. And they're pretty dog shit booths. Um, uh, and I had this idea for a double wall and, you know, having learned carpentry by buying a tool belt and then... <laughs> And then researching whatever projects I had to uh, to build, um, I did the same thing with the with this booth, and uh, it was pretty complicated. 
um, and I underbid it. And if he hadn't given me another uh, extra grand, I would never have been able to start. Uh, I would have gone under completely. Um, but it worked, and uh, people raved about it. And then so I started getting inquiries, and uh, it slowly built up. I uh, let's see. I use uh, yeah. I I went from his driveway uh, where I assembled uh, that booth and makeshift tables and tools and skill saws and that kind of thing and uh, started um, using the backyard of a friend of mine who um, is a, a demo producer. She's been in voiceover for a long time. Uh, she works for Voice Tracks West, which is where I am now. Um, and yeah, that's where I've been for like three years uh, dealing with, you know, a, a leaky roof, a roof that's too low, um, slowly building up my tool set and uh, to where I'm, I'm, you know, if I had the business, I could probably do two or three of these things a week. So yeah, that's been, that's been working. Um, not great. Not, it hasn't been a godsend in the sense that, oh, I'm, I have all this business and uh, I have all this disposable income now, but it's been, it's been building. And my reputation is, is really good. And I've, I've uh, bit the bullet on a couple of things where things didn't go right just to make sure that people didn't badmouth me. So, uh, yeah, um, I'm, I am going to work every day in my backyard shop uh, building uh, isolation booths. Did you ever go to my, sh on my website? No. All right, well, I'm going to give the URL. Go to scottsvobooth.com. <laughs> yeah, no, I will. We'll, I mean, we'll post that on our site. We want people to go to it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've seen them on Facebook because you post these great pictures of all these happy people mm -hmm. uh, standing outside their isolation booths for voiceover work. That's my um, hallmark. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. It's really cool. And and I always, I also really love the blurbs that you write about it. Like they're really funny. They're classic. You. Yeah, I have um, a good time with it. <laughs> yeah, well, but it shows. That's a really uh, you have a really great way of expressing yourself verbally, and, and particularly in writing, because it's kind of it's a one way communication. So it's really all about the environment you're creating as you yeah. write it. Yeah, yeah, and, so, um, and yeah, I wanted to uh, I wanted to make the website quirky. You know, I didn't want to be standard issue. Um, I have the greatest stuff in the world, and you should buy it. You know, I just want to I want to tweak people's interest and uh, entertain them and yeah i've heard that before from other people too and, and i'm pleased to hear it every time i do so yeah so you know i'm i'm putting putting skills to work um which is i guess what we all do all the time anyway and uh it's it's been reasonably successful so far although this last month has sucked canal water but you know <laughs> in every life a little rain doesn't fall <laughs> Well, now I remember when I um, left off with you in LA, and even before then. Do you remember the Vienna Cafe? Oh, sure. We had with I mean the, what's hundreds of breakfasts there. The 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 Swedish gal. Yeah, the Swedish gal. Yeah, she was great. Um, and I remember really having a crush on this. I think she was Israeli. This a actress, and she ended up dating the Czech guy who ran the place. Remember oh him? yeah, 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 yeah. And then she, after dating him for five months, she sued him for sexual harassment. Really? Yeah, it was awful. She oh, was a wow. horrible person. Like, and she told me she's like, Jason, I'm a terrible person. You don't want to go out with me. And oh, well, um, you got you got fair warning on that. Well, she also probably saw that she wasn't gonna be able to get anything out of me. <laughs> 
you know, she could sue me all she wanted. There was yeah. nothing to take. Um, uh, yeah, and she dated that guy. I remember I had a birthday party, and I invited her, and I was really happy to see her walk in, and then he walked in behind her. Ah. <laughs> and then she gave me flowers, and they were the flowers he had given her. Oh, no, really? Yeah. In front of, in front of him? In front of him, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a- what yeah, a, she was heartless. What a rancid twat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was pretty awful. Um, but anyway, I remember. Uh, but that's not the Swedish blonde girl. She was a sweetheart. She was really. What was her name? I can't. Remember. I could not tell you. I was trying to summon it, and I just do not remember. But I remember she came to my Thursday night dinners once or twice, and mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, she had some boyfriend who didn't appreciate her. I remember that. Oh yeah, I do remember that. Um, which yeah, I'd say is true yeah. for a lot of people in LA. That's uh, when my first hip was uh, in its uh, in its worst times. Um, so you know, I didn't have any money, didn't have any, didn't have any um, energy. You know, so and plus I was twenty years older than her, so <laughs> yeah, what I have. <laughs> uh, don't worry, we, you you know, that wasn't gonna happen before either of us met her. <laughs> ah, yeah, uh, yeah, it was not in the stars. That was not in the stars. No. Um, but I do remember, uh, I remember building out their back offices and, um, hiring this kid to help me who he and his brother were supposed to put in a wood floor for me. And they basically absconded with $2,500 and I was letting him work it off. And then he tried to charge me for his time. I was like, dude, you guys owe me $2,500. He's like, that's my brother, not me. I'm like, you're the same family. I'm sorry. Like I hired you to, so you could work off that debt. And then his brother wouldn't let him finish the job. He was a nice kid. His brother was like a gambling addict and really a he, he was kind of a husky kid. Yeah. I, I remember, yeah. Yeah, but he was a sweet, <coughs> sweet kid. And his brother was really he his brother was really a piece of shit. Yeah. Um Remember the Ponchies? The guys who came Uh it was um I wanna say Cisco, but what, that's not his name. Um Oh shit. Uh, it was like Eugenio or something like that. Yeah, um, him and his—he was a stocky guy and a skinny brother. They were, they were amazing workers, man. And they, then his father, right? Because didn't you bring the three of them up to do my drywall? Uh, maybe his father. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I remember like losing my temper with him, and he's like, "No, no, tepones enojado." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I realized like that was when I realized that. Just yelling at people wasn't the best way to motivate them. It yeah, was... you were you were you were a little you were a little crabby when you were running your own business, construction business. And I was thinking to myself, remembering that, uh, yeah, man, now you know what it's like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you were not overly empathetic. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Welcome to the mix, asshole. <laughs> yeah. You wanted it. You, you got, got it. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. But he was a he was a good guy, and they did a good job. And and uh, and I remember, the, you know, that job cost him so much money, and the last five hundred dollars he paid me in breakfast. Like he's like, you just have a five hundred dollar credit with the, the restaurant. And well, it's not a that's not a bad way to get paid. No, I used since, it you know. since you're there every every day. Yeah, it wasn't like I wasn't going to use it. I mean, yeah. I did use it, and it's good uh, breakfast too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So salmon, salmon Benedict was great. When we were there, I remember you starting your voiceover career. Well, I don't have a voiceover career, but I started taking lessons, yeah. Well, it was a new thing for you, though. You were really excited about it. Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. 
I went to um, I went to a Saturday class that uh, was just offered to the general public to as an introductor introduction to voiceover, and uh, I got the bug the same way I got the bug for theater work, and so I started taking classes with the same guy, and um, yeah, I was I was yeah I've been excited about it. Um, I'm still taking classes. I've been a professional student of voiceover for like twenty years, um, but yeah. Uh, I that that's how I operated. So I get enthusiastic about something and I jump into it with both feet. Well, I remember when you had a pager and and you're like, I never thought the day would come that I'd be one of these annoying Hollywood <laughs> talents with a pager. Uh, but you had one, and you you know, and you're like, can I borrow your phone? I got to call this and see if this is an audition or something. <laughs> um, I so I have that vivid memory, and I have another vivid memory of showing up to breakfast about 20 minutes after you and they were putting a boot on your truck oh yeah and i couldn't decide if i should tell you or not because i didn't want to ruin breakfast oh really so you knew i see i couldn't stop them but they were doing it yeah yeah. you know i wasn't i know that i've seen that happen before they will not stop i can't oh hey let me get the guy you know no they get the order they do the order yeah, they. I mean, yeah. and I just remember like, Cause, and I remember sitting down having breakfast with you and having this horrible feeling the whole time, being like, I just, I don't yeah, know if you, I should tell you. You walked around the corner with me. I guess because you were parked behind me. <laughs> I saw the booth. Yeah. yeah. That was $700, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh I learned about, the, like I said, the uh, the prison of, of uh, not having enough not to be poor. And that was the thing, you know, I'd get a parking ticket and couldn't pay it and then it would double and then it would another one and that would double and you know they'd finally boot my car so yeah louis Louis ck does a hilarious bit about being broke it's absolutely one of the funniest things i've ever heard you uh, can i hear it like on netflix yeah uh you can hear it on youtube just google louis ck broke oh okay yeah i'll do that when we're done i don't want to spoil it for anybody who might be listening but i would highly recommend you know do a search on YouTube for Louis C.K. Broke and laugh your ass off for 15 minutes. It's funny <laughs> as fuck. No, I love Louis C.K. Oh, he's so brilliant. The only thing I don't like about watching him because um, I think you know this, that I've started doing stand-up and I'm like I'm really into it. And Yeah, that's that, – you and stand-up, that's, that came out of the blue. But go ahead. Um, well, yeah, so we can talk about that. But um, I watch him for inspiration – but the problem with watching him, and I and and uh, Judd Apatow said this about him. I was reading Judd Apatow's book. He's like, the problem with Louis C.K. is, and I, I just I I can't watch him anymore because he talks about everything I want to talk about, but he does it better than I'll ever be able to do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that is exactly the experience I'm having with him. And he's. You know, he talks about his kids. I do some of my comedy about Sula, although not really the way he does. And, but his kids are a little older than mine. Mm-hmm. Plus, he's a public figure, so he's talking about things that haven't happened for me yet. Uh huh. So by the time they happen, I won't be able to talk about them because he's already done it and will have done it better. And it's just, I mean, it's the greatest and worst thing having him in the yeah, world. Yeah. Yeah. Well. It- when you're apprenticing like you are now, when you're learning your shit, yeah, it can get intimidating. But if when once you hit your stride, you could maybe even do the same material, but you do it your way. Totally. And, 
Yeah, and then uh, you'll have uh, you'll have fans in a um, um, what's the word I want? Uh, a following, and yeah. and a career. <laughs> All those things sound great. Where do you get those? Um, yeah, what can I say, man? There, it's a hidden market. <laughs> <laughs> you have to go to this place with a trap door in the door, and you have the password, and you know. And yeah, they let I, you in, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And then you got to fight a demon. And then, <laughs> uh, though, what the hell got you into stand up? So I have, um, for a, a while now, I have been given the feedback from people in different aspects of my life, whether it's at a dinner party or in a yoga class or a yoga training or when I have my spiritual teacher in his classes. A lot of people would tell me how funny they think I am. And I take that with a grain of salt. It's nice that people say it, but I've been around people who are truly funny. Mm -hmm. And I'm not usually trying to be funny. People, I don't like it when people try to be funny. Um, yeah, when it's I forced, say it's just things horrible. the way I see them, and oftentimes it catches people off guard, and it's funny. And so, but anyway, I've got, I had kind of gotten that enough. And a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine here, who's one of my favorite people in Asheville, and he makes me laugh more than almost anyone I've ever met. And 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 together we make each other laugh a lot. And so and I'm going to have him on the show too. He's going to be one of the guests coming up in the next couple of weeks. And and he said at the beginning of the summer, uh, since George and I have split up, I've been able to kind of spend more time with friends. I mean, I, I take it George is Sula's mom. George is Sula's mom, yeah. Okay. Um and we split up a couple of years ago and, you know, one of the upsides of that has been that I've actually been able to reconnect with people who I just didn't have time for when I was yeah when you're coupled up family. things when you're coupled up things go by the board it just you have to choose you know and and nurturing uh, keeping that thing alive between you it takes up the majority of your energy so it's not unusual yeah and just time I mean you know you're spending yeah. so much time just playing defense in your life <laughs> you just <laughs> I don't have to ask you anymore. <laughs> well, no, I don't mean it. That wasn't a, a cut on Georgia. I just mean when you have a child and you have a partner and it's just the three of you and you both work. Yeah. I mean, you just, just no time. And we, you know, we get up in the morning. It's just enough time to get Sula to daycare and now to school. And Georgia has to go to work. And I was working from home just to make it easier. And then I'd work all day and they'd come home and I'd still be working and, Dinner wasn't ready, and then we'd you know make dinner and do story and snuggle and give her a bath and like before you know it, it's you know you woke up at six and now it's nine o'clock. Mm -hmm. How are you, when are you gonna go see any of your friends? Yeah, yeah. And then I traveled a lot, and uh, so that was a burden on them. And uh, well, it wasn't a burden on Sula; it was a burden on Georgia, and it was a a source of. Uh, you know, Friction. discomfort for Sula because her dad wasn't around. She didn't necessarily understand it. Right. And um, well, traveling and, for business. Traveling for business. Yeah. No, I uh -huh. would never. I never left home for pleasure, and didn't go with them. It, uh -huh. it was the only time I did that was my fortieth birthday. I went on a yoga retreat for four days or five days. I went to L.A. Okay. But I went out for the retreat and I came home. That was it. That was the only time I did anything personal without the family during that time that I can think of. Georgia might. You know, if she were here, she might debate that, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that's true. Um, there was six weeks where I went to China, and China closed while I was there. The whole country shut down. And um, so I went to Thailand for 10 days in the middle of that trip. She was not pleased. Uh, 
Yeah. I was like, what do you want me to do? The country shut down. She's like, how can a country shut down? I said, I don't know, sweetie. It's China. It's not the U.S. The con- you know? the, it closed? I mean, it's, it's an unfathomable idea to an American that a country would close. But they that just is, didn't let anybody in? No, it's not that. It's that every, all the businesses closed. It's a national holiday and everything closes, uh. except maybe some of the restaurants. I mean, you know, in any of the resorts and everybody travels somewhere and you can't get anywhere. You can't get anything done. The factories aren't allowed to be open. Wow. Um, yeah, you know, that's when you have a totalitarian regime, you can do that shit. <laughs> so well, it's also, I'm pretty sure, cultural. You know, it's like, did they impose it on them or was it just something that, uh, that they would do anyway? It was imposed because yeah. uh, those Chinese factories need to run as much as they can. Yeah, okay. So uh, they're not, I mean, the owners are happy to take a break, but they feel no need to give their workers a break. Ah. And most of their workers aren't Chinese anyway. Most of them are Cambodian or Burma, Burmese or, you know, I mean, the, I mean, this is a, a brief aside, but the labor force in China isn't so much Chinese anymore. Oh, wow. They've, they, you know, outsourced immigrants because the Chinese don't want to do it. They want a middle class life. They don't want to, hmm. they don't want to work in a factory because no, it's I, shitty I understand. Work. Yeah, well, it's like... <clears throat> In the Middle East, uh, when Dubai or the Emirates hire workforces from the Philippines or Malaysia, it's like that whole uh, area of South Asia, Southeast Asia and the Indian Ocean are like the Escaneros at uh, Home Depot. (laughs) 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 It seems to be like the labor pool. That's that's how they survive. Yeah. Yeah. It's... uh... Oh, man, don't get me started on that whole thing. I'm so happy we make everything in America now. It's like I just don't have to deal with that. I don't have to travel there. Oh, did um, you make stuff overseas? Yeah. Yeah. When I started my yoga egg, um, I was making it in China for the first four years. Holy and, shit. You were an outsourcer. It, I was a part of the problem. <laughs> oh, wow. And I um, I mean, it was brutal. You know, I would At first I had somebody dealing with it, and then there were always problems. So I went over there and thought I could solve the problems, and then I came back. And I would go there every year, and the last time I went was to work in the factory side-by-side with the workers for six weeks. Six weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. And part of that six weeks was the uh, 10 days in Thailand. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and I went to Japan for four days because there was a yoga fest there, and I had a new distributor and stuff. So um, I've always – you know, I mean, I try to do as much as possible. That's the first time I went to three countries while I was in Asia. Yeah. And that was the last time I went to China. I was there. I brought a friend because I've been there enough to know that these experiences are genuinely traumatic for me. Are they? Because my whole life is riding on this product. Oh, and yeah. they're not making it right. And my engineer, who's a great guy, but we get in these horrible fights. And it's because he's in a tough spot. He's between me and the factory, and you know I'm very meticulous, and they're not capable of doing it. And this is a Chinese guy. He's a he's born in China, lived his whole life in Hong Kong, but he's an engineer, so he spends you know five or six days a week in mainland China, and the other two days a week with his family in Hong Kong. It's been that way his whole life. Wow. So his whole he's married, he has a kid, and he's only spent you know generally speaking two days a week with his wife and child. Wow. And, and, you know, he's a really, really good guy. I mean, I still owe him money. I mean, he's like, he's a real gentleman and he's just, he's a really good human being. But we would get in these knockdown, drag out, yelling fights, you know, I mean, in front of everybody. It was really terrible. Mm. And, but, you know, he, 
I was just trying to do I just wanted things to be right and he wanted me to understand the realities of mass production. Ah. So well, the realities of mass production is you get the quality that that you demand and pay for. Except there wasn't the, okay, so was there labor something, has, something f- f- about the physical nature of what you were working with that didn't that prevented him from doing it right. It was the way we were making it. Ah. It ended up too much had to be done. So there was too much had to be done by hand. Oh, okay. And you know, his teacher taught him is like the first thing he learned in engineering school was every problem in manufacturing is caused by people. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, I mean, I guess I'll tell this story. It's kind of a horrible story. But um, he was trying to get me to understand what I was dealing with. And he said, you know, Jason, you are a trained craftsman. You know, you know how to make this stuff. But these guys don't – they're not craftsmen. They're factory workers from small towns in another country. Uh And, you know, they've maybe they've been to eighth grade or seventh grade. And even that, it's not like it was a great school they were in. They're Escaneros. So these people have no education, and and because of the labor laws changing to protect the workers, and of course, as a humanitarian, I'm in favor of that, but what's happened is there's such an abundance of work and such a shortage of workers that the uh, power and control over saying yes or no to a job is now in the hands of the workers. Uh, so it's a, it's a seller's market. It's a seller's market, yeah. yeah. And and they're unsophisticated and uneducated, and the work that I was having them do was kind of shitty. And so no one really wanted to do it. So finding people to do what I wanted done was really hard. Uh. So we could only push so har- far because the factory would just say no, and then I'm out of business. Right. No, I under- yeah, I understand your position. Entirely. It was awful, Completely. dude. Yeah. It was so stressful. And I so I brought one of my best friends from Asheville uh, with me and we spent six weeks sleeping in the same room and working together under these horrible conditions and I basically you know he did it for the experience I paid a hundred percent of his expenses mm-hmm. every day was torture and I mean and when we finally left like we they were actually doing a pretty good job like we had it down but but I would teach them something on day one and by the end of the day, they understood it. And then day two, I would come in about three hours after they had started, and they had invented a brand new problem. Uh, and then they had to spend – they got paid by the piece. They had to spend you know, the next couple hours fixing the problem, and then they got back into business, and the things were okay for the rest of the day. Next day, they invent yet another brand new problem, and this went on day after day after day. Wow. And I mean I ended up taking that's, the that's machine pretty, completely ap- – That's pretty huh? highly skilled labor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, yeah. I mean, the skill of creating new problems. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll never forget your the phrase you taught me that every job teaches you everything you need to know to do that job, and every job is different. Yep. <laughs> These guys. That's still the hallmark. It was the same job. <laughs> <laughs> well, they made it different. They they have they have invention and imagination. Yeah, yeah well, they I totally. Find, I, uh, I find that to be the case too. I sorry, mean, just with the Escaneros, so, uh, the Guatemaltecas and the uh, Salvadorians and the and the Chilangos from Mexico City, um, you you take your chances. Some of these guys are sharp as tacks and are smart and uh, willing to learn, and some of these guys are just pig ignorant and stupid, and you just don't know who you're getting until you deal with it. 
So, um, yeah, I can't imagine uh, an immigrant labor force in China from the rest of Asia being able to latch on to what you're talking about and just run with it. Well, here's what happened. So I created this sizing jig. It was really simple. It's like it's got four different size things, and from left to right, they get a little bigger each time, right? Mm-hmm. Because they couldn't make the eggs the same size, so I at least had to organize them to be the same size when it was over. Right. And don't even get me started on how ridiculous that is. But um, <laughs> so I had four different sizes. They were like a thirty-second of an inch or sixteenth of an inch difference in each one. You know, and that meant the smallest egg they could produce could be a quarter inch different than the largest egg they would produce. And I f- took the whole machine apart to get that thing dialed in so it wouldn't happen anymore. But if they ran the, the egg too fast or ran it against the grinding bit twice it would get smaller i mean it was amazing their creativity around fucking this up (laughs) it was unmatched so i was teaching (laughs) i was teaching the the foreman like the main guy we said i just we handed in the jig handed him a handful of eggs and said you know just figure out how big they are this is all translated right Mm -hmm. and i watched him struggle with this thing and have a hard time deciding where it goes and then i showed him and they translated, and then he still couldn't do it. Yeah. And then my engineer, he's like, Jason, you're a craftsman, but these guys aren't craftsmen. They don't have you the weight. And have I the said, way. they don't have the muscle memory you do. They don't have the same. It, um, they couldn't even figure out how to put something in a slot and decide what size it was. You well, know, or they decide to slam it down and say, oh, yeah, now it fits. I'm like, that's not telling us anything. I didn't say make it fit. I said, uh, what size is it on its own? So. So he said, so I couldn't get it. I was like, I don't understand. Why can't they figure it out? This is, I just showed him how to do it. He said, Jason, they're not people. They're animals. Wow. You know? And I was like, and he was really heated. He's like, they're stupid. Okay. They're stupid. They're a pig. They're a dog. They're stupid. They can't figure it out. Never. They never understand. You come here five year, 10 year, never understand. You come here last year, next year. They no understand. Holy shit! <laughs> well, that's that's I mean, pretty, that's pretty blatant. It was really it was really intense. I mean, I and he wasn't trying to be as horrible as he was being, but I was not understanding the fact that these guys were never going to get it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that was my last time in China. I was like, I, I I had already started sourcing U.S. manufacturing, and but I couldn't tell them that. Uh-huh. And so I just bit my tongue for six fucking weeks. It was really hard. I mean, this guy and I were yelling at each other and, you know, and one day I just sent him an email. I said, and I said, from now on, if you yell at me, I'm just going to walk away from you. You have to stop yelling. Mm-hmm. All I'm trying to do is make my product. I'm sorry that I frustrate you. All I'm trying to do is make it right. And he apologized and never yelled at me again. Oh, you good. Know? Um, granted, that was pretty near the end. Um, but, uh, anyway, so, um, so I moved the manufacturing here and, and we still have problems, but not the same problems. I mean, the, the problems we have now are, you know, first world problems, (laughs) 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 literally. Um, so you asked me how I got into comedy. Where's your plant? My, uh, it's, it's, uh, in North Carolina. Ah, Um, so everything is made in state, a hundred percent of the product, even the foam is made in North Carolina. So my carbon footprint went from the other half of the world to just across the state. It's amazing. Excellent. (laughs) It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And it's even biodegradable. Now we make it out of a biodegradable foam. Wow. So, 
it's you're, just amazing what we've accomplished as far as all that goes. Well, let me it's interject really... something. I mean, I deal with, uh, you know, immigrant labor here because, you know, that's the labor pool. Um, but you got stones, man. <laughs> you went all the way to China to deal with the immigrant labor pool. In a I had no idea. In a different culture, in a different continent, um, in a different language. And, and you're not the top of the food chain there. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive that, that you actually survived that. That they didn't kill me and bury me in a ditch? Yeah, or that you didn't explode, or that you didn't, you know, uh, go berserk with a, a machete, and they had to shoot you down like a dog. Um, <laughs> that's yet. the reason. In all seriousness, that's why I brought my friend Mark. Really? Because it would have happened. Because I had been there two or three times already. I'd been through this, <clears> and I knew I was going for six weeks, and I knew I wouldn't survive without him. Uh, I needed someone I could speak English to, that I could laugh with, that I could blow off steam and complain to and mark's really good at listening you know he's just like he can listen and hear me go totally nuts and not have it affect him at all uh-huh um yeah, and uh so yeah well, he's yeah. yeah he's a great guy oh well, you're smart um, that way yeah so well, i just i knew it i i mean it was you know it cost me three grand to have him there but the amount of money i would have spent on uh psyche psychiatric hospitals had i not brought him would have been much more so um so I have this friend here who who I really like and he makes me laugh a lot and uh, his name's Michael and and he um, not my teacher Michael that I used to that I came here to study with this is just a buddy named Michael mm-hmm. and and uh, he said at the beginning oh I, I was saying like you know when I was in a relationship we didn't have time to spend together so now when the relationship ended I started to reconnect with all my friends uh-huh. and and so this guy Michael and I have started spending a lot more time together which has been great. And he said in a text or an email, he's like, let's do these three things over the summer. This is like last May. He said, let's spend more time together. Let's go somewhere cool, even if it's just for the day. And let's find an open mic and each do five minutes of stand-up. Wow. And so we- Is he a a professional stand-up or he's- No, he's just like me though. He's really fun. I I don't mean to say it like this. Uh, Like me, he's really funny. Uh, He's very funny. And and he he thinks I'm funny, and when the two of us get together, we have a lot of laughs, and so we share that, you know, and the ability to make other people laugh, we have that. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's one thing to be funny at dinner when you don't have to; it's another thing to be funny on stage when that's the only thing that's expected of you. Oh God, dude! And people people have been telling me that I'm funny for years, and they say you should do stand up, and I said no. I would uh, if I did if I did one set of stand up I would be incarcerated for twenty years. I just I <laughs> do not have the patience to be heckled. I mean, I first off I can't fight, so even though I would fight, I'd get my ass kicked. And um, the I mean the violence that would ensue would just be hideous. So I stay away from that <laughs> and just, just you know uh, I freelance making people laugh. <laughs> The worst I got heckled was in Chicago. I did an open mic there over Thanksgiving week, and um, and I had done this. I explained every. I opened up. I'm like, I'm from Asheville, North Carolina, and I told some joke that related to that. And then uh, I was doing my model remodel joke, and I and I meant to say I used to live in L.A., but I guess I said I'm from L.A. because I still consider myself as being from L.A. And mm-hmm. even though I've been living in Asheville for 11 years, I still think of myself as from L.A. And, right. uh, 
and and I got two thirds of the way through the joke. It's like a three part joke, you know. Right. Um, and I'm after part two, and I'm just about to deliver the punchline, and some drunk guy goes, "I thought you said you were from Asheville." And and I wish that I'd said, you know, the great thing about hecklers is at least they're listening. <laughs> um, but instead, I, I like he just caught me. I was so, I was so in the zone, and he totally threw me off. And I was like, what? And he said, I thought you said you were from Asheville. I was like, all right. Um, I guess I I live in Asheville, and before I was in Asheville, I lived in L.A. Okay, can I get back to my four minutes that you've wasted some of now? And, you know, everybody laughed a little bit. And then I – so I told the joke over again and people only kind of chuckled a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I said, now, you see, that's a great joke. And everybody would have enjoyed it a lot more had you not interrupted me. But you don't care because this is in your set. And then I just – the whole room erupted in applause. <laughs> like the highlight of my set was me handling this heckler. Well, you hammered and, him. <laughs> and uh, and then when I got off the stage, the MC complimented me on handling – that what she called an outburst she didn't use the word heckle as she's like uh, let's ha- you know give it up for jason handling an outburst you know like a professional excellent which was very cool because i'm not a professional and uh so that was like you know my low light highlight at the same moment <laughs> well it's going to happen so it's uh, how you extricate yourself from it um yeah yeah you have to learn how to deal with it and and i actually I enjoy the audience, so I enjoy the audience work, and and I've learned how to like give them a moment, but not let them take over. You can't let them take over. Uh-huh. And and once in a while you get someone who is going to take over, but uh, you know you try not to let it happen. Um, so anyway, Michael challenged me to do this five minutes, and my forty sixth birthday came around, and I decided that as a gift to myself, I was going to do five minutes of stand up. And then I spent 25 hours writing it. I wrote – I wow. started writing down all my stories. I had been taking notes kind of for the summer. I was writing down my stories and I ended up telling you know, a story about Burning Man that I'll never tell again. And <laughs> I mean it went it went well but I realized like – because remember you and everybody else on Facebook were like, send us the video. And I was going to post the whole video and I realized I don't want this story to be out there. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I mean I have – yeah. It was not consistent with my image as a yogi. Oh. <laughs> And so I'm okay having had a uh, complex and multifaceted life, but there are aspects of it that I don't need to be the one putting it on YouTube. So Hey, boo-boo. <laughs> you don't want to get into that picnic basket. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I uh, – so I did my five minutes, and I ended up only doing three minutes because I got up there and had total freeze. You know, I couldn't remember anything I went up there to say, and I didn't want to look at my notes. So, which in hindsight I just should have. Yeah. And now I know. I take a little list and I put it sort of discreetly on the stool, and I can glance at it more or less, you know, subtly. People still see it, but it's not like walking off stage to look at a p- giant piece of paper, yeah. which would have been my other option. I've gone to a lot of open mics, uh, like at the Ice House, and uh, people do that. They do that all the time. Some of them are really funny. No, it's totally acceptable, yeah. especially in that environment. Um, but I was my first time, and I wanted to just do it, so I did it just for less time. But it didn't bomb. Like you know, most people really bomb their first time, and and sometimes their fiftieth time. I mean, it's like I've watched good comedians really eat it, and I've watched new people just go five minutes without a single laugh, oh. and that was not what happened. Now, granted, I had a warm room; I was filled with my friends, but even the people who didn't know me still, you know, pretty much enjoyed it. Excellent. Um, so unfortunately so it just I did encouraged well in- you. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was the worst thing that could have happened. Yeah. I was like, oh, maybe I can do this. You sabotaged yourself, dude. <laughs> so that's where this whole notion of learning to fail comes from. I mean, that's a comedic. I first heard it in the context of comedy. Ah. And that, you know, uh, failing is a huge part of performing and learning to fail is a huge part of becoming a comedian. Oh, God, it's like 95% of it. Yeah, pretty much. So um, so that was the impetus for this podcast, Was the, at least the, ah, for the title of the podcast. Excellent. Um, and then I realized, you know, it's, it's what I love about the phrase is it applies to absolutely everything in life. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So I knew that I could interview people other than comedians. And um, there was there's just no one who, you know, there isn't a learning to fail story in there somewhere. Oh, my God. Uh, the ones who say there isn't are lying. Totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what else? And that's where all the juice happens, you know? Well, so. uh, you know, uh, when we're practicing reads, I, I've directed some uh, some uh, voiceover classes. And um, I tell people that there's going to come a point where you're hideously uncomfortable doing what you're doing. You're feeling incredibly awkward. And I say that's where... The, that's the source that's that's where you learn that's where you draw new juice out of the out of the world not of yourself because you're not doing something that you're comfortable with and it's that discomfort that uh that gives you uh the rewards well i'm it's funny i'm i just wrote a bit the other night i performed it on uh thursday and or friday mm -hmm. and um it's a brand new thing. It's brand new territory for me, and I kind of can't believe I'm doing it. And what is um, what, what's it about? I, I'm not even going to say. I just like <laughs> I, I'm still not ready to admit the fact that I'm writing about this. But <laughs> um, but it's really vulnerable. Uh huh. You know. I mean, and it's also not true. But it's it's it makes the audience question me in some ways that I may not want to be questioned. And so it's pretty, you know, it's the bravest thing that I've done so far. And I've been noticing, like, I've always said, like, you know, why do comedians have to do racist humor and sexist humor? Why do, and I realized, like, I mean, they don't have to, but you start to want to push that envelope uh -huh. of people's tolerance and sensitivities. You don't want to break it. You don't want to rip it open. Right. But you want to just come up against it just the right amount it's that louis ck is a master of that yeah yeah and um and it's about and, yeah it's about stuff that he's not actually like <clears throat> when you when you see him being interviewed you get a sense of do you see him on uh, comedians in cars getting coffee i did it was fantastic yeah he was just he was just so regular <laughs> you know it's like yeah he's, he's not a tortured comedian he's not a an angst-ridden comedian he's just a regular guy who knows how to be funny in these really perceptive ways, I mean, he's got depths to him that are that are pretty astonishing. But I know he, he doesn't he doesn't dwell in them. He uh, he he lives you know he lives in in the world, and uh, and and uses that to make uh, to make his art. So um, yeah, so you know maybe you need to do that once or twice. Well, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm starting to push that envelope. I mean, I got pretty big laughs on this thing the other night. And so now I've, I've, uh -oh. you know, honed it and, and. Well, uh, what kind of comedian doesn't want to, doesn't want to say his biggest laugh lines? Well, exactly. Well, you know, that's the thing. I'm like, I'm starting to take those chances, which is pretty, pretty fun. That's cool. That's really cool. 
See, I mean, so. you're setting yourself a, you're setting yourself up to succeed with that. <laughs> or not. <laughs> well, no, I mean, really, uh, if you don't, you know, you do the same thing over and over again, it's, it, it disappears. You know, you, you get no affect out of it. You get no juice out of it. You get no fun out of it. You get, uh, maybe you might get a paycheck, but you know, it doesn't, you don't grow. So, uh, giving yourself that challenge, giving yourself that avenue to grow, you're setting yourself up to succeed. I mean, the skills you develop in working that through will serve you really well on other things as well. Well, that's the, uh, I was gonna say that's the hope, but the hope is I won't have to do other things. Like I really would like my next phase of my life to be spent doing. No, I'm talking about in comedy. Yeah. Oh, in comedy. Yeah. Okay. No, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming you're going to keep going with this. You damn. Fool. Oh yeah, I'm. I'm going. I'm hooked. <laughs> you damn fool. I plan to ruin what's left of my life. <laughs> well, so go ahead um, and fritter away your life <laughs> if that's what you want to do. <laughs> so I know you don't have a ton of time left. Um, I want to ask a couple things just to kind of get some other pieces of who you are, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Um. What is your, if any, uh, you know, what is your sort of spirituality or that piece of your life? I mean, does that exist? Where do you land on that? Um, hmm. Has it shifted over the years? Or I have no organized sense of spirituality. I, I've experienced moments that are transcendent, um, that have been mildly transformative in that they've introduced me to themselves and so i know they exist uh i have no hunger to search for any any sense of enlightenment i i'm not sure i trust the fact that there is enlightenment um although like i said i've had i've had moments um like uh one time in my shop i was working at like two in the morning after 14 hours of trying to get this thing done and maybe it was just exhaustion, but um, I got a really intense sense of being one in the lineage, uh, doing what I was doing, of guys working with materials, making something. Um, I just felt totally at home in it, and I felt buoyed by it, and I felt um, comforted by it. So that was, uh, that was something you, just, you don't get every day. Um, and then um, I did have a, a strong one time about 25 years ago. I'd give you this. I'd give you the setup to it, but it's a long time. That's that's the whole uh, 35 years of L.A. thing. Um, okay. But there was a there was a big change in my circumstances, and um, I got a sense of the oneness of the universe. To not just to to put it bluntly as I can and that uh, my my heart was filled with it mm. but it doesn't last um, you know it's like uh, it's like you say um, you can achieve egolessness and then your ego taps you on the shoulder and says good job my <laughs> my uh, my secularity my um, cynicism maybe um, I, I do have a, a cynical streak um, at the same time that I'm always hoping for the best. Uh, my groundedness in that, in myself, takes over again. And that's pretty much my baseline. So, although I was raised in the church, I was raised a, uh, an Episcopalian, 
And uh, I thought that I wanted to be a priest until I got to college. And the first foot I stepped on campus was the, the last time I ever went to church. <laughs> I mean, what what happened there? It just it just disappeared. And okay. I and I realized when I got into theater that I I just we we're high church Episcopalians, you know, so smoke and robes and statues and music, and um, and I realized I liked the theatricality of the liturgy when I started doing theater. That it just you know became wonderfully apparent to me that I just loved the the play acting of it. So um, that's the last time I I ever went to church, and you know, like I say, I have had little spasms of it here and there, but. Mostly, I I am common. I am common dust. So, what do you make of that? <laughs> Hello. Well, I mean, I've oh. known you, so I I've known you to be sort of atheistic. Um, and you know, when I was going through my uh, spiritual questing, um. And at one point I invited you to a lecture or something. You were like, no fucking way and don't ever talk to me about that shit again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure. And I was, was like, little, oh, how do you really feel? I'm you know? sure I was a little more tactful than that. No, not much. Not much. <laughs> you were really like, you were really. Uh, vehement. Vehement yeah. and like almost offended. Like I, um, and, and granted I was, a, I was like, I'd found Jesus. It wasn't around Jesus, but that's how I was about yeah, it. Yeah, you were a newbie. <laughs> I really had found something that had was changing my life and I felt that it could change everybody else's life. Not that their lives would become like my life, that it would change their lives in their way. Like that you was You wanted the one to spread the difference. love. I really did. Uh-huh. And I was I was awful about it. <laughs> and I didn't know I was being awful, but I also felt like the ends will justify the means. They'll thank me. You know. <laughs> and I mean it was really just I mean hearing myself say it, it's like, well, who the fuck, you know, but <laughs> Um, well, you know, I uh, I've had my spells of that too, um, but I generally back off of people because I don't, you know, that's why I wasn't the greatest salesman in the world. I was good as long as I believed in the product and I was, could be friendly to people, but I've never been a hard sell guy. And uh, to really do that evangel- evangelism correctly, you've got to really pound people. <laughs> I mean, if you want a, a a conversion rate that's not in the low low nothings, <laughs> the low zeros. Yeah. <laughs> you really got to hammer, folks. And I just I can't do that. <laughs> well, I wasn't you know making a living at it. It was just it was one of those things where you felt I Wait, felt you, so you, good. You guys who do it for nothing, you're the worst. We're the worst. <laughs> you do it out of pure zeal. There's nothing more egregious than that. Exactly. What are you going to do with all this zeal? There's all this zeal on me. I can't sell zeal. Get your zeal off me. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, so, so much. So what uh, happened? Are you still are you still seeing this guy, or are you still part of that whole? No, um, that... I mean I won't go into detail on it, but we had a pretty big falling out at one point. Okay, and I, it's actually honestly, while George, I pardon me. I actually, if we'd been in touch, the last um, that the your last days in in L.A., I would have probably made that prediction. Oh, I think everybody made that prediction pretty openly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't a great insight. No one was surprised. <laughs> Most people were surprised it took as long as it did. Uh, what I will say is I still really live the teachings, and I actually just in the last couple of weeks, things have been so rough that I just started meditating again, and I already can't go 
the day without meditating. Like it's it's so good for me and I have not done it for seven years. Oh wow. And now that I've started again, I do it twice a day and I have it's just a really terrific practice. And I like I was sitting on the couch and I was like, how could I, I had a huge breakfast. I was like, I, I'm not hungry, I'm not this, I'm not that. What's and I was like, oh, all right, I haven't meditated yet. And then I meditated and I was like, okay, now the world is organized. It's like yeah. It just takes everything in my head and gives it a, it gives it a, a place to settle, so I can yeah, the gears can start turning. I understand. Again. Beer does the same so thing I for me. still have a tremendous um, uh, affection, and that's not even the right word, like uh, reverence for what I learned. Uh huh. And what can you character? Does this have a name? The school of stuff, or is it? I don't know what it's called anymore. Um, is this a, just this guy's? Um, ethical framework cooked up by himself that he was uh, teaching you? Not exclusively. I mean, he studied with uh, the Maharishi and mm-hmm. um, and he did a lot of TM and, and so, but he also did a lot of things. He, he had, He's had a tremendously varied background and what his gift is, among other things, because I really do think he's a remarkable being. I mean, mm-hmm. I know it sounds like a horrible groupie to say it, but uh, I watched miracles happen in that room and experienced a few of them myself. I mean, he just really understands people. And mm-hmm. when he's at his best, I've never met anybody who's like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I uh, buy that. I mean, there's ex- yeah. exceptions. I mean, he's just, he's really incredible. So, you know, he, he would bring together ideas in physics and veterinary medicine and music and business. And, and, and ha- we did hands on healing and learned Vedic astrology and palm reading and, you know, he taught all this different stuff, not so that we would do all those things, but so that he could crack open the very hard nut that is our stubborn kind of consciousness. Mm-hmm. You know, he just and it was very, very effective. Um, and and it really, I remember when I was in it, it really changed me and for the better. I mean, everybody liked who I was becoming. They just didn't want me to make them come do it too. <laughs> and well, that's the lesson to I, learn. That's always a lesson to learn. It's like it doesn't have to spread out from you. Um, I know, but you want to share it. I mean, that's you know the you just want it. Yeah, huh? it's like a delicious recipe. Yeah, yeah. But I don't. I, but I don't like Brussels sprouts. <laughs> yeah. But these Brussels sprouts. I mean, yeah, I'm sure they. I'm sure they taste good to you. But they're they're, they're Brussels sprouts, right? Yeah, but they're so good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I gave up. Just eat your damn Brussels sprouts. I gave up Brussels sprouts for Lent 40 years ago. <laughs> 11 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, what was interesting is, um, and I just kind of realized this the other day, you know, when uh, George was pregnant, that was around the time that um, we sort of had our, our parting of the ways and. I still meditate. I kept my main practice for a while. And then when Sula was born, it just became impossible to do everything. And I started doing yoga more seriously because I was really starting to try to make it with the egg. Um, and so I started practicing all the time. And I just – I had to give something up. And the meditation was the thing that I let go of. And and then, you know, then now George and I have split up. And, you know, it's been a little rough lately in a couple different ways. And I How long have you been split up? Uh, two years. Uh-huh. Okay. And um, how long were you together? So we were together for six years. Oh boy, yeah. Um, and not including you know the time that she was pregnant because we weren't really together while she was pregnant. Hmm. Um, oh, there, thereby hangs a tale. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a it's a crazy story. But you know, I mean, 
I, I knew I wanted to live with my daughter and, and George was a terrific human being and she really, you know, cared about me and, and, uh, you know, we tried, I think we really tried and she really tried and, uh, it just, you know, it wasn't there. And when it was time and we, when we were able to let it go with relative grace, we did. Oh, okay. And I feel like for the most part, we've done a good job with it. It's, you know, we, every once in a while we go through a little eruption phase of things being awful because, you know, we're not in a relationship. We don't want to be in one, but we still have to deal with each other every day. You know, as I say, we still have all the same fights, but none of the makeup sex. Ah. <laughs> uh, so and, does she see Sula? Does she see Sula much? We, we have split custody. Oh, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah. We 50-50 custody, yeah. Ah. Um, oh. And which was really, really hard uh, for her at first. It wasn't as hard for me because I'm used to going away and coming back, so I'm used to having time away from Sula. Right. Um, but... Then it became like I would go into a full-on depression every time I would give Sula back to her, uh, and I had to start to I started planning for it. I still kind of plan for it because now I have Sula. We now we're a full seven days on, seven days off. It's much easier, and we're all happier. Uh-huh. And um, but we make the switch on Wednesdays. Usually at school, I drop her off in the morning. Her mom picks her up. You know, there's no sense of like the handoff. The handoff is never a good thing. So. Right. There's no handoff. There's just, uh, you know, she gets dropped off by one parent, picked up by the other. She knows it's happening. We all know it's happening. Well, kids, and kids, I kids organize are, kids are the next really 20... flexible. Um, they can, they can make, uh, you know, so long as it's not difficult at home. You know, this this kind of arrangement, a kid can adapt to quite easily. Yeah, they really need it to be consistent. Yeah. You know, like she doesn't like it when she has to say, where am I going today? Or, you know, it's really nice if it's consistent. And for the most part, it is. But this mm-hmm. always changes. I mean, this this coming week, you know, just going out of town. I'm going to get her a day early. You know, it's like and I'll keep her a day longer and then I'm she'll only be with her mom for a day. And then I'm taking her out of town for four days. So it just works out that I'm going to have her for most of the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. And were you guys married? We never married. Ah. No. So this is uh, just an, an agreement between yourselves. Yeah, it's not I mean, court ordered. I'm just wondering. No, it's not court ordered. Yeah. You know. Um, well, it's good that you when it comes it out. to Sula, we both really do our best to put her first, um, and sometimes we fail, but for the most part, we succeed. Well, that's and that's good for you. That would have been good for me, probably, if I had ever wanted a kid. Um, I realize uh, one of the things that uh, works against me in life is that um, I am. Uh, insular. I'm, I'm kind of like an oyster. Uh, comes from being an only child with a single parent for uh, a long time, and then uh, walling myself off from the new family. Um, so yeah, that's that would have been good for me uh, if I had uh, if I'd taken the plunge. I think, but it's great that uh, that you did it because I think that's really good for you. Yeah, it's been really good for me. It's been really good for me. Sula's by far, you know, she's the love of my life. Ah, sweet. And it's really... Smart ass, too. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Where'd she get that, from you or from her mama, or just as an adaptation? <laughs> I I certainly hope she gets it from me. I mean, I take great pride in the idea that she gets it from me. Um, <laughs> you know, I... I uh, I really nurture those kinds of conversations with her. I mean, I, I, I play with her in a way that has kind of taught her how to, how to be, uh-huh. um, 
fresh you know (laughs) yeah yeah a little bit irreverent but not rude like i've really worked with her and continue to work with her on the difference between being funny and clever and being rude yeah yeah because i'm just like rude's not okay but funny and clever that's great if you can if you can keep it on the funny and clever side you'll have a lot of friends if you just are rude that's not going to help you yeah and so it's it's really helping her refine that, and she's getting better and better at it, as you can see by the Sula Seds. I mean, she yeah. just comes out with stuff that's she's only really eight outrageous. too. And she's something. She's fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, she watches TV shows that are sometimes have kids who are, you know it's probably directed for kids who are a little older. So I kind of need that. I need to bring her back to you know Dora the Explorer, so she's just more good natured. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, she's really. Uh, she really puts me through my paces. Fantastic. Um, Good for you. So, yeah. A friend, so, a friend of mine just had uh, his first kid at the age of 51. Wow. Yeah. And uh, he's taken to it like a duck to water. And, you know, he, the guy's really, really healthy. So it's not like um, he's uh, he's not like in my shape, um, which would have really put him through his paces. Uh, and it was kind of an oops, baby. But uh, they're, uh, they're, they're going crazy for him. Well, a lot of babies are oops babies. <laughs> um, I think if if babies were only born when they were planned, that this world overpopulation would not be an issue. Oh no, no, no! It's just Mother Nature throwing spaghetti against the wall. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's uh, a lot of it sticking. It's, yeah, a lot. <laughs> yep. But you know, it's one of those things that when it happens, I mean, it's a major adjustment. It's the biggest adjustment I've ever had to make. Mm-hmm. But it's also been the the best thing ever. Well, cool. So oh, well, it better be, because if it's the worst thing ever, then Sula's in trouble. Well, that's true. But for a lot of people, it, it could be. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, she ruined my life in the best way imaginable. <laughs> Creative destruction. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she just you know, I mean, I, <clears throat> there was nothing about my life that was that was moving in the direction of having a child, except for having gotten this house. I mean, I got this house with the idea of having a family. Oh, really? So that was it's a big house, and I envisioned having a family in this house one day. And she was conceived in this house, and you know, we all lived together in this house for six years, and the family broke up in this house, and I'm kind of ready to give up this house. Ah, too many uh, memories. It, enough. It's enough already. <laughs> like I just I also I just I'm kind of stagnant here I have I've accumulated way too much stuff and and I won't really get rid of it unless I have to because I have so much else to do but if getting rid of it becomes a necessity then I will get rid of it so I almost have to move just to get rid of all the stuff I don't need yeah you're molting <laughs> so yeah yeah exactly I need to cocoon and I just I gotta get this crap out of the no you just need to unhook the skin from your lower jaw and wriggle out of it well listen man my Uh, voice is failing um so i think i got to sign off Um, all right well this was terrific oh i really appreciate you doing it Ah, that's a lot of fun it's great to reconnect with you it's great to reminisce uh we'll have to you know well i'm gonna bring some beers to the next one <laughs> we'll have to do an addendum and uh, add the Thursday night dinners because that in and of itself was a yeah you know. that was a, that was a good time that was um, that was a bright spot in that uh, in that struggle period because uh, you know everything was going on my hip was bad you know it wasn't working blah 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 but I really dug those breakfasts and I really dug the uh, the Thursday night dinners I got to hang out with twenty somethings and uh, and enjoy myself so yeah I was grateful for those. 
Oh, they enjoyed you. I mean, they ask about you every now and then. Sabrina asked whatever happened to that guy, and you know. Oh, she so was Facebook friends. She never t- uh, posts anything to me. Well, you know, I mean, she lives in New York, a, right? Yeah, New York and L.A., and then she travels for work. Yeah, I don't. So. I don't. You know, I look at her picture every day on Facebook when she posts, and I don't remember her. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> it's like she. I mean, beautiful woman. Yeah, uh, it's been a while, man. I mean, it's been 15 years since you would have seen her. Yeah, was she in the? Uh, uh, oh, and bowling. God, bowling was yep. fantastic. Bowling, yeah. Was she in bowling? Yeah, she would go bowling once in a oh, while. Okay. But Thursday night dinner, she's she is the other founding member. She and I started that whole thing. Oh. It was at first. It was Wednesdays, and we'd watch Melrose Place, and that lasted like oh, not Mel, yeah Melrose Place or some one of those, and uh, and that lasted thankfully only about four four episodes and then we moved it to thursdays for seinfeld and friends and then we invited somebody else and it it grew organically and for the last episode of seinfeld there were 45 people in my house oh wow i yeah i remember so. cooking for you i remember it was a near disaster i was making these potato uh, ravioli garlic mashed potato ravioli and i didn't separate them and it was like a blazing humid summer and they just welded together <laughs> <laughs> So it was a lasagna. Yeah, exactly. That that's what, it, that's what it up. ended up being. Is that I remembered you making lasagna, so now I know what actually that, happened. That's what actually happened. And when your that's when fun. your buddy said, "Why don't you just put it in the oven?" I said, "Oh, lifesaver." <laughs> <laughs> and it turned out great. It was really tasty. yeah, it was delicious. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right, man. All right. Well, lots of love to you, and it's really it's it's very meaningful to me to have reconnected and kind of healed whatever happened. And who said who um, said it healed? It, you know, it healed for me. You're on your own. <laughs> I feel healed, and that's it's my podcast. So, <laughs> so much for your evangelism. <laughs> I never said I achieved enlightenment. I just said I was enjoying the pursuit. <laughs> Man, that was great. I had so much fun talking to Scott Peterson. I feel like the last many years of living without his friendship have been severely lacking. He's smart, he's funny, and he has an uncanny way of making me feel both better and worse about myself at the same time. Not a lot of people can do that. If you like what you heard, please visit our website. Use our Amazon portal and rate us on iTunes. Make sure you tell your friends about us, and if you feel so inclined, please consider making a donation on our donation page. That way, we can keep failing for years.